Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from April 13, 1998. From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening, good morning, whatever the case may be, across all these many prolific time zones. From the Tahitian and Hawaiian Island chains in the west, eastward to the Caribbean, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America, north all the way to the pole, and worldwide on ye old internet, this is Coast to Coast AM, I'm Art Bell. Well, 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 I've got a lot for you this morning. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a lot coming up, and I'll kind of outline that for you this week and well into next. Uh, number one. You might want to head up to my website, as usual. Do you remember Dr. White? Uh, Dr. White uh, is a man we interviewed who did monkey head transplants. Do you remember that? Well, guess what, folks? I got a photograph. Hold on to your lunch, dinner, or breakfast, whatever the case is. But um, uh, we do have actual photographs of those experiments. Uh, you will see the monkey head. It's quite... Uh, but but I'll warn you, this is a very, very graphic uh, photograph. You'll see it all hooked up. Remarkable photograph. As a matter of fact, we should go back and uh, re-interview uh, Dr. White. But that is on my website right now. In addition, um, I sent Keith a couple of photographs. Uh, one photograph uh, is of... <laughs> We went out to the uh, the Welcome to Pahrump sign, a heart of the new, new Old West. We've got the sign as you come into town. Probably shouldn't say this. And um, we had this inflatable rubber alien. <laughs> so Ramona and I went out to the uh, the sign, and we uh, we uh, duct taped this little fellow onto the sign, and took a photograph. <laughs> And then, then, then when we were done, we left him there. I have no idea what fate he uh, met. It's a pretty windy day. It uh, generally is out here. Anyway, that uh, photograph is up there, and I took a photograph at my back fence line of the mountain that rises behind us. Is the uh, zoom lens so that uh, you can get some idea of the majesty of Mount Charleston that rises behind us goes up about 11,900 feet, and that photograph is also on the website. And then we have a listener's view of Benson's view. <laughs> you'll, have to, uh, you'll have to go and take a look at that. That's also on the website. And then uh, let me give you some idea of what's coming up. Uh, as you saw in the news, I'm sure, we had yet another day filled with tornadoes. My God, they're everywhere. Um, as a matter of fact, do you know there was a um, there was an earthquake in South Carolina? A 3.9 hit South Carolina at about 6 a.m. their time, Monday, April 13th, and was widely felt. Gee, kind of a wake-up call, I would say, for uh, South Carolina. Not exactly a place you would expect a lot of earthquakes, huh? So for a short time tonight, we'll have Ted Wright, author of uh, Wright's Complete a disaster survival manual on tonight. Tomorrow night is going to be a busy night because they are going to re-image Cydonia. 
uh, Richard Hoagland will be here, and we should have good photographs by airtime. They are going to attempt to image what's called the city area, and they're going to uh, target the very center of what's called the city area. So we'll see what kind of images we get tomorrow night. An incredible controversy continues to rage about the quality of the photographs that we got last week. So that'll be Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, um, uh, Tuesday night to Wednesday, actually. Wednesday, we're going to hold open until I see what happens with the uh, Tuesday photograph. Thursday, we'll have Dr. Robert D. Keppel, author and chief uh, criminal investigator for the state of Washington, uh, who wrote a book on signature killers. Uh, he'll do the first hour. He'll be followed by Bruce Wallace. Who's Bruce Wallace? How many people out there saw the movie Conspiracy Theory? Ostensibly, it is uh, alleged this movie was done about the life of Bruce Wallace. And, in fact, when I got a fax from Bruce, <laughs> it indicated at the bottom of the fax, I don't know, maybe I can find it here, five people who should be notified in case he is, let's see, it says, if you are unable to reach me due to my death or disappearance, will you please contact the following people and tell them to be careful? <laughs> five people and their phone numbers down there. So I guess uh, uh, he'll talk about uh, conspiracies. Should be interesting. MK Ultra. He was, uh, I believe, involved or a victim. We'll find out. And then uh, Friday, Dr. Fred Allen Wolf. And um, he's a physicist and will talk about, he's written uh, any number of books, about eight books, uh, many of the things that uh, Michio Kaku uh, will talk about, he also will talk about. And then uh, uh, coming up next week, uh, I have a number of things for you. Uh, for example, on, let's see, which day is it? I believe Thursday. That is, if he can make it now, uh, he may be facing some uh, cataract surgery. Uh, but tentatively, Father Malachi Martin, we don't have that one on the website because he's not going to confirm until Wednesday. Uh, tentatively, Father Malachi Martin. Now, I talked to Malachi Martin earlier today, and I asked him about this news going around the Internet. Cardinal uh, at the uh, Vatican has said, indeed, alien life forms are visiting Earth. And uh, Father, Father Martin said, oh, yes, um, indeed, it's true. The Church is beginning to acknowledge this officially, so we'll ask him about that. Booked for next Friday, Major Ed Dames. I talked to Ed Dames out in the Pacific earlier today. I won't identify where he is, but... Uh, but I talked to him out in the Pacific. He'll be back. And uh, next Friday, or a week from this coming Friday, we will have Major Ed Dames on. So I've got a lot planned, as you can see. In the news, the governor of Virginia will wait for a U.S. Supreme Court ruling on an appeal by a Paraguayan death row inmate before deciding how to respond to Secretary of State Madeleine Albright's request to delay the execution. Now, this man was convicted in the 92 
murder in a 92 murder is scheduled for execution on Tuesday. Albright wants to delay the execution to protect, quote, the safety of Americans overseas, end quote. That's interesting. The South Korea has decided to pay wartime sex slaves, compensate them. South Korean women who were enslaved as prostitutes in the Japanese army brothels during the Second World War. And, of course, you know about the peace plan in Ireland. So that kind of constitutes whatever's going on in the mainstream news. The weather is bothering me a lot. It is now mid-April. Let me tell you what's going on. It, it may correct itself eventually, but here in the high desert, by now, we should have air conditioners roaring. The temperature out there ought to be in the mid-80s, low 90s, at least. Ed, at night, we're going to the mid-40s. During the day, we're going to the mid-50s. It's really odd, folks. Really, really odd. The weather all over the country has taken a turn. If you heard Standale last week, he now sees, uh, you know, he watches the naval satellite photographs of ocean temperatures, and he's telling me that he sees another El Nino building. And you better pay attention to what Standale says. Because long before the conventional press knew what was going on with this El Nino, Stan knew it was coming and told us. So, this weather thing, it's Plickle El Nino? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe something else is changing. So we'll do all of that, and we'll do uh, quite a few open lines coming up uh, here in just a moment, unscreened talk radio whenever we are in open lines. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think... As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. 
I argue with people about disclosure time and time again. I've told them governments are not going to come out willingly to tell us it's going to happen by a mistake, it's going to happen by a whistleblower, but it's not going to be an organized thing. Governments won't do that. And the reason why they won't do it is because they do not want us to know. They think that they'll lose control of us if we know. If you actually truly believe that we were being visited by extraterrestrials and you had categorical proof that it was happening, do you think you would listen to some of the bull that government throws out all the time? Absolutely not. You'd look toward the heavens, you'd say there's got to be a better way, and you would start doing your own thing. And you would forget all about government control and everything else. So the bottom line is government will never ever disclose the true facts of UFOs. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998 on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. All right, uh, to the phones we go, and I've got a lot more material here that I'll kind of spread out as we go on. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. I can't believe it, Art. I know. That's what everybody says. Yeah, it's, it's like winning some something really big. Uh-huh. Well, uh, where are you? Well, I'm in Ventura, K-V-E-N. You yeah. know, I have been hearing this neat story about Ventura and K-V-E-N. I'm the guy that put it out. I called your network K-O-P-E-F-M. Really? Yeah. Uh, so they do a little miniature talk show in between right. during, during the breaks in my talk show. Is that right? Yeah. On the half-hour hour, uh, we get five minutes, and on the hour, we, we get one to two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a mini-talk show. What's really odd is that you have a top-notch guest on, right? Yeah. And someone will call up and say something controversial, and all the callers will start screaming in, talking about the caller that said something controversial. <laughs> but it's... But it, but, is, is that guy that creates that, that havoc on the station? Yeah. I'd like to say something for your show and against it. Okay. You okay, can do both. a good thing and a bad thing. All right, well, give me the bad thing first. No, I'll give you the good thing. All right. You have some of the top-notch scientists on the air, and, and that's what I listen for, okay? Okay. You know, top-notch astronauts, uh, Mitchell, you know, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then and again, some of the weird things, we have to use their own discretion. And I've got to tell you something else. When you had David Oates on one night, I bought, I spent hundreds of dollars on a tape recorder so I could do reverse speech, right? Yes. And I was sitting here live running reverse speech on callers calling in. You're kidding. That was really hot. That is hot. That yeah. is hot. You know, when people could call in, one guy said, hey, five by five, five by five. You know, to the host, <laughs> and in reverse, he's like a—he's called the magic Christian. You've talked to him. Oh yes. All right. In reverse, it said, "Help, help, help!" Oh, devil. Really. Pretty cool. Yeah. So, anyways, here's the good stuff. You have top-notch scientists. You want to hear the bad? Oh sure. One night about the El Nino stuff, you're you're saying, well, maybe I should talk to a physicist or someone that understands something, right? I called in and and I used uh, six. Sixth-grade physics on you, and you cut me off the air real quick talking about the Jupiter effect. 
Do you uh, remember that night? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. <laughs> and you I mean, brought I, me out there, and guess what? What? I was talking on KVN prior, and I and then the host came up and said, gee, the guy went up to Art Bell and finished his conversation. <laughs> and then I called in on our local show and finished what I had to say. It was totally dynamite. Oh, well, there's nothing bad about that. Well, it is in that the, everyone said that you cut me off short. It was very interesting. People were calling in saying, gee, this guy's really smart. We want to hear what he has to say. I thought you said you were using sixth-grade physics. That's right. It's very simplistic physics that I use. Uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Everything's yes, interrelated. That I'm aware of. And... Uh, I talked about the magical spring between Jupiter and Earth and Earth and the Sun. Well, okay, now that's what I don't buy. I don't, and I don't think it has at all been proven. Well, it's not magical. It's mass. It's mass. If you want to go into higher physics, mass, uh, gravity, uh, the, and also add into there the poles. You know, like the Sun has a pole and goes through pole changes. Yes. So you have an electromagnetic force also. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate your call, but again, the reason I probably cut it short was because I don't believe that, and I don't think anybody at any math level has proven that there is a connection between, for example, Jupiter and the Earth. Now, if there was, the most dramatic example of that con- of a-, a connection would have been when Shoemaker Levy Nine. Uh, in who knows how many pieces, crashed again and again into Jupiter. If there was any effect on Earth, it would have been felt then. And it was not. When we have planets that line up, people will frequently say there's going to be some vibratory effect as a result of that. And, uh, of course, all of them are going to line up eventually. I forget what year after the millennium. Uh, But again... I expect no particular effect on Earth. So, I don't buy that. I just don't buy it. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, Mr. Bell. How are you doing tonight? It's Hi. Kathy from Woodbridge, New Jersey. Hi, Kathy. I wish someday I would make it after 2 o'clock so all those people on WABC would hear me. Uh-huh. I'd like to rip me, you know. Uh, I want to ask you something. Sure. How do you feel about Dr. White's experiments? Do you approve of them wholeheartedly? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I, I can't give you an absolute answer. I think Dr. White's research was um, for humanity it had value. He was trying to um, do work that would have benefited people like... Uh, Paraplegics? Yes. Perhaps? Okay. Yes. Maybe what happened to me is I got my first taste of his work via something I shouldn't have done. I had There was an animal station on, on via cable at least a year ago, and uh, they were showing it for PETA. Well, as you know, if you've ever seen anything that's been shown by PETA, it's usually, uh, sometimes it's doctored. Mm-hmm. Maybe 80% of the time it's doctored. It's hidden, for, it's hidden uh, pho- photography. And they had, his, they had his lab shown. And it wasn't just about him, it was about all animal experimentation. And boy, did it piss me off what I saw. Uh, you know, I saw this, this picture of the Pope in the background of his laboratory. I know. I mean, then, then several months later, I saw it on Extra. I know. But and, you know. And it just really like, oh, man, it just grossed me out. Yep. 
because it, it was put into context where most of the animals were really what they were showing that were tortured. You've got to hear both sides. Wow, you got it Kathy, exactly, and I haven't Kathy, heard the other side. Yeah, a lot of times you don't hear the other side of the story, and, and there has been a lot of human suffering relieved with animal experiments. Parkinson's uh, I, disease, etc. Yeah, okay. I know. Thank you, Kath. Uh, I, I appreciate it. But I am open to both sides. And I think a lot of Dr. White's work was very important. However, as I said, brace yourself. Hold on to your lunch, your breakfast, your dinner, whatever it is you have when you go to look, because that photograph is there, and it is... Pretty eerie. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. Welcome to the program, those of you who join at this hour. Anything is possible tonight, anything at all. Who knows? But then again, that's kind of the way I like it. Streamlink. The audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. Just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. 
The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. West of the Rockies, you're on the air high. Hello. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Oh, how's it going? Yeah. It's going okay? It is. Yes. Um... Uh, I can barely hear you now. You got to speak up a little bit. Tell us where you are. Actually, I'm in Canada right now. All right. I'm in Edmonton, Canada. Okay. And my name's Brent. And uh, actually, I was just uh, have some disturbing news about El Nino. Okay. Okay. Uh, I was in uh, just visiting Moscow last month. I I can't hear you, sir. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, okay, I was visiting Moscow last month. Yes. And uh, my friend is in the military. He was telling me that uh, the government has some kind of machines that control El Nino. Is there any of you heard anything about that? Or Yes, I have, and uh, I'll tell you what I've heard. The Russian government made a legitimate offer to create cyclones. And they claim they've got satellites in place right now that can actually create cyclones. Now, I don't know whether that offer has been accepted. I don't know whether they've actually tried it. But so far, I think not. Because I saw a report on CNN earlier, I think it was this morning, indicating that the Philippines and portions of Asia that would normally get rain because of El Nino have been getting nothing but drought, and it is now at the danger point in a lot of Asia, uh, the rain they would normally get, we are now getting. Uh, so I don't know. The Russians, I know, made the offer. Have they been experimenting? I don't know. I know one thing for sure. Our weather appears to be changing. Short term, long term, I'm, I haven't made up my mind yet. Uh, but I'm particularly nervous after listening to Stan the other day talk about uh, weather changes that uh, appear to be cooking now, he says, cooking, <laughs> indicating another El Nino is building. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Arbel. Yes, you're going to have to get on a regular phone, sir. Okay, I'm getting Hold on, hold on. Here I go. See, what, that's what happens with a 49 megahertz phone, folks. That's why you ought to trash those things. I'm sorry about that, Arbel. Uh, well, that's all right. My name is Tim, and I'm calling from Rochester, New York. Okay, Tim, what's happening is there's somebody in an apartment or house close to you transmitting on the same phone okay. frequency, and uh, they're interfering. Um, this phone is, has been testy the past couple of days. Um, can I just ask you a question and then get off really quick? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first off, I was wondering, have you ever been to Rochester, New York? 
You know what? That is a city I have never visited. Have you been close, like Buffalo or Syracuse? Or? Uh, yeah, I've been to Buffalo. Do you like it up here? Or? Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, I was wondering, are you going to come up around here ever any time for a book signing? Or? Um, it's a good question. I don't have an answer for it right now. I, you never know. I might. Possibly. Um, I just want to say I love your show. I've been listening ever since you've been broadcasting up here. Um, I'm 21. I've been listening ever since I was a teenager, and I go to sleep to you every night. And I just love you so much. All right. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. But that makes me feel old. When people start calling, hey, I've been listening to you since I was a teenager. Since I was a baby, Mom used to turn the radio on in the crib, and I'd be listening to Art Bell. <laughs> Getting old. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. This is Barb from Ohio. How you doing? All right. Good. Hey, i got a question for you. Sure. I'm going to be on Las Vegas in uh, June. Uh huh. I was wondering if you could recommend any sites to see or anything. Let me forewarn you, though, I'm not into gambling or whorehouses, though. Well, then why would you come here? Uh, that's kind of a business type of thing. <laughs> well, look, they've put a lot of... We've got theme parks in Las Vegas now. Okay. And um, things of that sort. And um, you can go into a casino and eat for cheap and not gamble. Okay. Um, you can uh, see the sites, go to places like Circus Circus, and, you know, there's a lot to do. Right. Is that Star Trek uh, thing pretty good? I haven't been to it. Okay. I've, I've heard it is. I mean, there's a lot to see. There's a lot of shows and stuff you can go to. Uh, oh, absolutely. Okay. All the time, of course. That's good. What about the UFO highway? Is that worthwhile now, or has that kind of died down? Um. Well, I don't know what you mean. Are people still see things out here now? I would I would advise you probably your luck on any given night that you would drive out the ET highway what we call ET highway here right uh your your chances of seeing something significant on any given night one night are pretty slim right so I doubt I would do it okay all right I heard you can do it's pretty dark for a while after you drive through there you don't see anything really oh it's um it's dark all right right Yep. Okay. Well, thanks for the information, Art. Uh, I wish you continued success with your show. Thank you. Um, take care. It's dark. There's no lighting up there at all. Of course. You're, uh, well, by the time you get out uh, in the Mercury area, <laughs> it's just uh, raw desert. No light. You don't want to have car trouble out there. I'm not saying you wouldn't get help, but you don't want to have car trouble out there. I mean, this is very serious desert out here. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Art. Hello. I can't hear you, sir. You're going to have to speak up. This is Kelly from Chico. Okay, Kelly, talk right into your phone. Yeah, I'm trying to. Jeez, uh, I didn't expect to get through. Well, you, <laughs> yeah, you did, okay. Kelly. What's up? I was just uh, thinking about the um, the Mars mission, the picture they're coming up tomorrow. Yes. I'm I'm surprised, first off, that they're going to image the city at all. <laughs> I expected them to try and take another picture of the face and then screw that one up, too, and, you know, end up not getting the city. I figure the city's easier to, uh, you know, analyze than just the face. I mean, you could get a perfectly clear, clear picture of the face and uh, still... You're right. The big news could still be tomorrow when they do the city because most of the scientists that I have talked to 
think there is a better chance of proving artificiality with regard to the items in what's called the city. And Richard Hoagland agrees with that, and he was telling me that he thinks that they're being so reactive to uh, what everybody is doing and saying, and we're keeping them on their toes so much that we're going to get an honest, uh, good uh, photograph. And I said to Richard earlier today, yeah, I'll believe it when he, I see it. Yeah, me and he, too. he said, you know, you're beginning to sound more like me than me. <laughs> and I said, that may be true. Um, but uh, we went through hell with this last photograph, and so I'm just, I, I'll knock yeah, on Presswood, and we'll see. All right? <laughs> you take care. We'll see. Why am I pessimistic? I don't know. Because of what we went through with this last photograph. Surprised that Richard all of a sudden thinks it's going to be a clean shake this time. I'm not sure I feel that way. But I would be happily proven wrong. If they get a good, clear photograph and... It proves unambiguously that these objects are not tricks of light and shadow. Then we are really off to the races in more ways than one. Boy, society has got a real paradigm to turn over, don't they? Wildcard line, you're on the air. Yeah, Art, this is Bob in Montana. Hello, Bob. Yeah, I just thought I'd give you a call. I really love your show. Thank you. But I think I've lost it. Oh, you've lost it. Yeah, I was uh, listening to your program tonight, and I recorded it last night. Mm -hmm. I hadn't had a chance to listen to it yet, so every time your commercials came on, I listened to what I recorded last night, and then I would listen to what you were playing tonight. Then at the same time, I was watching Bill Maher on TV on closed captioning. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not following you. Uh, well, I was listening to your program, and I'd recorded it last night, Yes, I, I've, I've got that. So I was listening to tonight's show. Yes. And every time you'd have commercials on or a break, I would put on what I recorded last night. So I was listening to two shows at once. Yes. And at the same time watching Bill Maher on TV on the closed captioning. So I think I've lost it. I'm... You mean you, you mean you've yeah. gone mad? Yeah, too much of a fan. I, I see. <laughs> well, look, it's hard enough to listen to one of my programs... Uh, at any given moment. Trying to listen to and watch TV at the same time will end you up in a loony bin. Yeah, okay, that's all I want to say, Art. All right, see you later. Uh, I don't recommend anybody doing that. He was going to say that it was not on whatever station he was talking about, but no, indeed, he was listening to two programs at once and watching TV. Like, that'll kill you. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, going once, going twice, gone west of the Rockies. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, you know, I've got an extraterrestrial report I wanted to report to you and to your fans. Oh? Or your listeners, whoever they are anyway. But, you know, this is uh, this happened in San Francisco where I spent a lot of time by the Presidio. Yes. And uh, I read the Bible every day. I pray a lot. I am a Christian, but I'm a fanatic. And, uh, a fanatic Christian? I, I sure am. I was a, anointed a prophet a long time ago on a... Uh, 700 Club broadcast, and I called up and received a word of uh, word of wisdom from wow. Kinslow and a man named Moses mm -hmm. uh, that were giving a word of wisdom that day about a prophet watching. But my 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 life changed after that, and and I now give oracles publicly like they did in ancient Greece. 
uh, one of the places like the Oracles of Delphi that were given in the temple. All right, so uh, your credentials as a fanatic okay, Christian are established. So what? Well, well, today I was given oracles at uh, Stanford University and UC Berkeley both. Yes. But anyway, uh, so I'm at the Presidio. I'm praying a couple of days before Desert Storm started. Yes. And uh, I'm praying at this monument. It's a rock right by the Legion of Honor. It's on a cliff. Yes. The Presidio. Right. Lincoln Golf Course. Right. And it's, it's, it's dedicated by the Chinese community in San Francisco to world peace. And I'm sitting on the rock praying for uh, our soldiers and their safety. Yes. And when I was done, I opened my eyes, and there is an angel standing next to me. Now, he has a golden tinge, and he's about 70 foot tall, taller than the trees. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He had a golden what? A golden tinge, a spirit being with kind of a golden tint. Oh, okay. So he was 70 feet tall. Uh, Taller than the trees. I figure his 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 knees. And the trees up there are very tall, so he'd be a really big... On this cliff, they're they're not. It's right there by the the water, by the bay, where the Golden Gate Bridge is, uh, you know, is right there. Yes. Okay. But anyway, so he's wearing sandals. Sandals. And his kneecaps are above my head about five feet, and I'm over six foot tall. So he's a big dude. A big, really big dude with big hands and fingers. Now, he's made out of the invisible. He's made out of spirit. But he had a message for me. Yes. And he said it was time for judgment to start. Oh, no. Now, here we are at the time. You know, you talk about judgment. I mean, the angels, the death angel came at Passover. What does this have to do with ETs? I'm not clear. You were worried about the weather and the tornadoes and the earthquakes. There was one you said where in South Carolina? Oh, there was an earthquake. Uh, yeah, that's right. So okay, well, since he's told me that, I've, I've actually prophesied it at, at universities and on street corners in San Francisco, Northridge, uh, Kobe in Japan, uh, Loma Prieta. Well, now we have no... How, how do we know that you were able to forecast all of well, those? Well, it comes out in poetry and rhyme, kind of like Nostradamus might do. Well, I, I know, but unless you had sent me or somebody the poetry and rhyme, how could we know? Well, actually, the thing is, if you were standing next to me, you would have to notice... The thing is how you're in the middle of the desert, kind of in the middle of nowhere. I would have to call you up and tell you. Well, you are t- calling. <laughs> That's what I mean. So take my word for it, because I don't lie much. All right. Well, I, I you know, I'm fine. Uh, I prefer that prophets that claim hits document their predictions prior to the event. I mean, calling somebody like me up afterward and saying, I predicted the following four earthquakes you know, which occurred some time ago. Just, I mean, how, how do we know? This are walking through the woods and come across this big, deep hole. Wow, that looks deep. Sure does. So they toss a few pebbles in there and see how deep it is. They pick up a few pebbles and throw them in the, wa- in the, in, in the uh, water. No noise. One says, geez, that's really deep. Here, throw one of these great big rocks down there. The, I don't want to make little noise. So they pick up a couple of football-sized rocks, toss them into the hole, and wait. And wait. Not a, not a sound. They look at each other in absolute amazement. One gets a determined look on his face and says, hey, hey, over there in the weeds... There's a railroad tie. Help me carry it over here. When we toss that sucker in, <laughs> it's going to make some noise. So the two drag the heavy tie over to the hole and heave it in. And they wait. Not a sound comes from the hole. Can you imagine that? A railroad tie. Suddenly, out of the nearby woods, a goat appears. 
running like the wind. It rushes toward the two men, then right past them, running as fast as its legs will carry it. Suddenly it leaps into the air, and into the hole it goes. Just to say the two men are astonished by what they've just seen. Then, out of the woods comes a farmer. He spots the men and ambles over and says, Hey, have you two guys seen my goat out there? They say, Oh, you bet we did. Craziest thing we've ever seen. It came running like crazy and just jumped into the air and then into the hole. Nah, says the farmer. That couldn't have been my goat. My goat was chained to a railroad tie. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, this is Amber in Greeley Hill. Hello, Amber. Hi. I had a couple of questions for you. Mm-hmm. Now, um, my husband was listening to a program when you had Robert Ghostwolf on about that sphinx he found up in the Rocky Mountains. Yep. And he was saying that when he was listening, when he ta- when Richard Hoagland was asking him questions about it, that it sounded to him that Richard was kind of questioning him on the fact that maybe Richard might know there's there's more in this country. Is that possible? Um, yes, it is, uh, and South America as well. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, yes. Have answer. you seen the photographs yet? No, we, we're we still dinosaurs. We don't have a computer yet. Well, uh, you can go to a library and get uh-huh. a computer and go to my site and take a look. I'd, I'd appreciate your view. Okay. And second question. Um, you know that medium? I don't remember his name. You had him on, oh, God, a few months ago. Me and my husband were listening. Hmm. And he can get a hold of your relatives and whatnot that are that have passed on. Uh, Mr. Von Prague. Yeah. Do you think you'll have him on any time soon in the near future? Well, he'd certainly be a candidate uh, to have on. Yes, indeed. Well, I lost my father a year and a half ago. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. And I was maybe wondering if maybe I could get a hold of him and find out how he's doing. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'll uh, I'll give James a call. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you me. very much. Uh, we don't do those things on the air, however. When we have James on, we generally hold it to how he does what he does, and we talk about the topic generically. Um, I think that uh, people contacting their dead relatives, well, that's best left to you and the medium and not done in front of a national audience. However, James von Prague is one interesting fellow, no question about it. All right, we're going to break here at the top of the hour, and then Ted Wright. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998.
Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired April 13, 1998. Good morning, everybody. In a moment, Ted Wright, who has written a book called Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual. And it's good timing for that, because once again today, the tornadoes raged. Uh, we had, uh, the other day, 40 dead across the south in tornadoes, and I'm not sure we can argue about what's going on with the weather, El Nino-driven stuff, or a permanent change, or a temporary change, but the fact of the matter is, it's it's pretty bad out there. Now, I live in the desert, where it ought to be pretty warm by now. Ought to be in the 80s, maybe even the low 90s. But you know what our daytime highs are? About 55 degrees, mid-50s, down into the mid-40s at night. The weather is wrong. Uh, that's for sure. And in a lot of places, the weather is deadly. So we'll talk uh, to Ted Wright. Uh, his book, as a matter of fact, is a is recommended uh, reading from FEMA. Uh, Ted uh, spent... Um, World War II in London during all the bombing, and of course that will uh, uh, sharpen your survival instincts without question. And so he's got a lot to say about survival in bad situations. We'll cover a number of topics with Ted in a moment. Now, if you suffer arthritis, oh, oh there, there, there is one more item I want to get to you, and that is I have a whole raft of new photographs up on the website. Uh, so, without uh, one of them, by the way, is uh, of the Dr. White experiments. Now, I want to warn you about that one. It's very graphic. Dr. White, you'll recall, was the man who was doing the monkey experiments with the heads. Well, we did obtain a photograph of those experiments. And it really is graphic. And it is on the website right now. Go take a look. But be warned, it's very, very graphic. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. What's amazing to me, Alex, it's happening so fast. I mean, we're getting hit from implanted chips, the possibility of paperless cash. Something's wrong here. These things aren't supposed to happen. This is real society being folded into an artificial habitat like rats inside of a cage. This is not a game. Don't say you weren't warned, ladies and gentlemen, because we're all in this together, and you are being warned right now. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Well, all right, as I said, Ted suffered the bombing in London. That'll give you survival instincts, uh, for sure. As a civilian, he studied and became a physical therapist specializing in sports medicine, was chosen as honorable team attendant to the British 1948 Olympic team. He excelled in his chosen profession for 30 years before retiring from the field to pursue other interests. Then there was a chance radio broadcast, report of a small earthquake in Southern California, and all of a sudden all of his wartime preparedness and search and rescue experiences came to the fore, and he wrote Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual, is recommended reading by FEMA. 
He's currently working on two new manuscripts, first an expose on the nuclear dangers in America, entitled Chernobyl is Alive and Well in the Good Old USA, and the second book, Hey Boomers, Life Begins at 50. Uh, he should know he's currently 75 years of age. Here is Ted Wright. Ted, I. Hi there, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, you bet. Um, Ted, across America, it has been one of the weirdest weather years. Um, I guess in my adult life, I have never seen anything like it. The desert should be hot. It's cold. It should be dry. It's wet. The middle of the country has been suffering tornadoes. The south, tornadoes, 40 dead the other day. It's horrible. And so... Obviously, somebody who knows how to survive um, is um, of, of value, so I thought uh, you'd, you'd be of value to have on the air. Well, thank you, Art. Um, you know, I don't know why everyone is uh, acting surprised about the weather situation in 1998. I started this mission in 1980. I wrote my first book, which everyone laughed at. It was California, and it was called Survive, I Dare You, The Earthquake Awaits. And uh, you know, on your show and other shows, many of us are psychics and others. I'm not a psychic myself, but we've all been talking about the coming times. You can back away from the phone just a little bit. Okay, we've been talking about the coming times. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the coming times are here, right? Yep. And uh, what we see is what I have been trying to prepare for people for for years. We can expect these changes to go on and to increase through 1998. Uh, Edgar Casey and the Hopi Indians and everybody's been talking about this. Well, uh, let me ask you why you think it is. I mean, the weather, uh, short-term or long-term, no question, it is changed. Um, so do you think these are permanent increasing changes um, or not? Well, Art, I can answer that this way. You know, life for all of us is a matter of choices. And at the moment, we can either choose to follow the prophecy theory, that is, by the Hopi and other uh, psychics, etc. We can follow the cyclic theory, that every 2,500 years, the cycle repeats itself. Mm -hmm. This theory is supported by the, uh, the astrologers and people who study the planets and the stars. We can follow the wait-and-see-if-it-happens-soon theory, which FEMA follows. Or we can listen to the inner voice, our own inner voice that warns us uh, something's, uh, something's wrong in the kitchen here, we better look around. Yes. And that's the time when people of intelligence should be asking the question, what do I do? Am I just going to let the earth, uh, the chicken little, you know, they used to call me chicken little years ago, Art. And uh, we can either say, well, am I going to uh, follow chicken little, the sky is falling, there's nothing I can do about it. Or are we going to be sensible and say, for whatever reason, and we can all put our penny in the bucket and say, well, it's for this reason or that reason, but for whatever reason, the American public is completely vulnerable because they don't know how to handle the weather conditions that are happening to them. Boy, is that so. Uh, we, I saw on uh, TV today, you know, the uh, tornado that swept through Alabama and killed 40 people, etc., was about the fifth item on CNN before we got to it. 
And then it showed a man who had just had his home totally destroyed, which was a mobile home, by the way. It, it, it actually looked like um, nuclear devastation. Yeah. I mean, there was literally was nothing left. It was not just mobile homes. Anything that was in the way, that was a level 5 tornado, and it took everything down to the ground. Right. And that left uh, the, the interviewer talking to people, what are you going to do now? I don't know what I'm going to do. And the guy lost everything. But there's a very simple procedure that if you live in wind country, put your valuables below the ground. Mm -hmm. If you live in flood country, put your valuables up in the attic. If you live in earthquake or tornado country, put your valuables and your supplies away from the house. So when that house is blown away and you see a devastated yard, that yard should be full of the items that you, as an individual or a family, require to continue your life. Otherwise, you're going to be a refugee and wait for someone to come and give you water and food and shelter. And by the way, there is no shelter in this country that is prepared at the moment for any disaster of any kind. We notice that now when FEMA or other people say, go to the shelter, they are saying, um, you need to take your blankets and supplies because the shelters are empty. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, we kind of got away from the whole shelter idea oh. in, in America. You know, in the, in the 50s and 60s, when we were preparing for atomic war, there was all sorts of information given to the public. It was called self-help, civil defense, prepare sure. your shelters, sure. do this, that, and the other. Even I am old enough to remember all of that. <laughs> now the government is, uh, is keeping us in complete secrecy. Uh, there is a strong belief that uh, it is required that the population be helpless because they're then easy to control. But there are very serious issues that face us uh, as a public. The public, you know, uh, Art, there is a noose around the American public's neck and it's closing closer and closer. We had this uh, tornado, a very, very strong one that killed 40 people. We have never in this country had a, a Kobe or a Chernobyl, we nearly did at Three Mile Island, which was kept very quiet, but we have never had a situation where several thousand people were in demand of services instantly, yes. and if yes. that ever happens here, I, I just bleed, I, I cry thinking about well, it. Well, of course, we have had a couple of very serious hurricanes, uh, and there was much screeching and uh, crying that FEMA was very uh, late on the job. Uh, well, and when that many people are affected, uh, it's hard to mobilize enough emergency aid to really get to everybody that quick. So you've got to be ready yourself or else. Exactly. But you know there are things that can be done and can only be done on, a, on an agency level. For example, when Hurricane Opal three years ago, I think it was three years, was coming in, there was a mass evacuation ordered. This is Florida. And within... 30 minutes, the roads were so clogged and jammed that they were telling people to go back to their homes. Right. Now, surely it takes in the quiet times uh, a simple planning procedure that if you live in the east of the city, use this route, and so on and so forth. That's the planning that I look for. All right, well, here's an interesting question for you. We live in the age of nuclear terrorism. Yes. It's eventually going to happen, either biological or nuclear, in one of our major cities. Right. Take a city like New York, for example. Right. Uh, if the authorities had 12 hours warning of a yes. threat of a, a large, um, serious nuclear biological 
uh, detonation of some sort. Right. Um, they would be faced with a terrible dilemma. In other words, do you order an evacuation of an area that size, uh, probably killing more people in a panic to get out, right. than would die if the thing went off, or do right. you warn the public? I, I don't even know what the official position of our government is. Do you? There is no official position, but uh, right. have a look at the Israelis. Have a look at the uh, Europeans during World War II. They took precautions... And the Israelis, when this uh, new thing was going to come up with Hussein, they were there looking at their safe rooms, checking their gas masks, and they were ready to hunker down. They weren't ready to flee. You are quite right. I saw it on CNN. They all had gas masks. Right. They appeared ready. They were huddled in rooms. They knew what right. to do. Uh, we the worst thing we you sure can don't. do, Art, if there is a nuclear or a chemical attack or any accident, the worst thing you can do is flee. You have to prepare safe rooms in our own houses, and we have to be educated as to how to do it. It's not that difficult. All right. Uh, what, what would you recommend? Well, um, most of the modern houses don't lend themselves to safe rooms like the Israelis have. The rooms are too large. Hmm. So we need to have, uh, have in my book, My Backyard Survival Shelter, which is completely airtight. We need to have a room like this, that we can go to and be prepared to be there in the event of a nuclear accident, for example, for at least 15 days, because airborne pollution, such as came from Chernobyl, is very highly charged atomic particles, but they dispense quite quickly, within 10 or 15 days. So if you could last 15 days, you could live? Yes, most certainly. No question about it. It's a matter of putting in the foodstuffs. And the other important thing to remember, and we saw this at Chernobyl, when you are outside and that dust comes on you, you are contaminated. Mm -hmm. Now, before you go inside to your safe place, you have to hose down and take off your clothes, or you have to be in uh, waterproof gear. Uh, plastic trash bags are fine. So you can hose them down and clean yourself before you go inside. Now, in Chernobyl, they cleared the town of Pepeat, which is where all the workers lived. About three weeks after the accident, they finally decided to tell them. Great. They sent rows of buses into the town. They moved the people out at gunpoint, practically, thrust them into buses in the clothes they were wearing. They contaminated the inside of the buses. They drove them into the center of Kiev. The buses on their tires carried all the contaminants into the city, and when the people got out of the buses, they contaminated everything they came in contact with. Now, in World War II, I was in Italy when there was a typhus outbreak. Typhus is due to lice. And we set up a tent uh, situation, which was not very pleasant. But we herded the population as gently as we could, took off all their clothes, shaved their heads, put them through a, a, a delousing spray, gave them fresh clothes, and sent them on their way. That was a decontamination area, and that is how the public has to learn. It's very simple, but it has to, has to learn that there's not great fear and panic and rush and everyone try to get away, kill each other in the process. They have to learn that if they stay put and know what to do, if you're in your vehicle, turn off the air conditioning, close the windows, mm -hmm. drive to, to where you have to go, well, you're now 75 years old, and you went through the bombing in London. Uh, did, yeah. Americans have never 
really faced that level of disaster. Now, that's true. And uh, the majority of Americans have not the slightest idea what to do. Well, uh, that is the problem, Art. You know, if we can just educate people that it isn't that big a deal. Uh, I lived in a what's known as an Anderson shelter for 11 months. I didn't live in it continuously, but I lived in it every night. And uh, here we should have, you know, I don't understand why. In Tornado Alley, we have these mobile home parks and no underground shelters for t tornadoes. I mean, the tornadoes have been going on for years. This didn't just happen. And they, seem un un unnaturally, yeah, they seem unnaturally attracted to mobile homes. It's weird. Well, of course. <laughs> really is weird. I've wondered about that for years. Um, also, there is going to be... Um, Ed Dames, I've had Ed Dames on. He's yeah. a remote viewer. He is convinced there is going to be a massive worldwide food shortage. Oh, of course. You agree with that? Of course. We've only three days food in this country at any one time. And as a matter of fact, if there is, for example, here's, here, go to an area where they get a hurricane warning. Right. And you go and look at the grocery stores, and there is immediate, immediate panic buying. Right. And within... Uh, 12 hours, all the shelves are going to be empty. Right. That's it. No more food. That's right. Now, that, we can go into the stores now and buy bags of rice and beans and cereals. My book, I based on the pioneers who crossed this land. They did not have refrigerators. They didn't have fancy storage areas. But they carried their food with them for months. Mm -hmm. The Mormons crossed this land. It took a couple of years. But they didn't have stores to go to. They did have, it's true, they had frontier stores now and then. I, I tell you in my book how to put away the dry food and cereals and grains and beans, high protein, that are easily cooked. They don't take a lot of... Now we have wonderful foods, dehydrated soups and potatoes and milk and things. Well, why do you think there is going to be a food shortage? Because we have for years, the farmers are um, encouraged by Monsanto and these other chemical companies have been encouraged to make more money, bigger crops, less ground, and they've been growing on the top four inches of soil for years. The soil is deteriorating, and there's nothing to hold it. So another good tornado or good windstorm blowing across the farmland is going to blow away all of the soil. You know, that sounds crazy, but it's not. I saw a 60 Minutes piece indicating that you're exactly right. Yes. That the Midwest, uh, given the right conditions, could once again very, very quickly turn into the dust bowl yes. that we once had. Now, and there's another aspect, Art. When we have all these floods, the sewage plants and other contaminants are in the water. And they spread all over the growing areas. They, de they, they, they soak into the ground. Mm -hmm. As soon as the soil is ripe, the farmer goes out and plants on it. But we don't know what the condition of that soil is. That's true. So um, we have a very serious problem, not only with uh, food, but with water. Our fresh water is shrinking rapidly. You know, in Scandinavia, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, they have to buy their water. It comes in ships. But they are probably one of the most beautiful countries in the world with their lovely snows and mountains. Their water is all polluted from Chernobyl and other sources. And so they have to buy water? Yes, they're buying it in. It comes in in ships. 
Just like Desert Storm. Remember how all the soldiers carried a bottle of that sparkling water with them? Of course. And that's what's going to happen here because the, the air pollution... You see, Art, we don't talk about this. The public are not told. But the quality of the air that we all breathe... Yes. You notice the incidence, the high incidence of respiratory conditions. Oh. Nasal I, conditions. I, I'm suffering one myself. Hold it, right, hold it right there, Ted. We're at the bottom of the hour. Notice. Oh, yes. Asthma up of... What is it? 100, 200 percent, something like that. It's true. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight... An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. Ted Wright is my guest. He has written a book called Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual, which is on the FEMA-recommended list. There's been so much nasty stuff going on lately that I thought uh, it would be good to have him pay a visit, and I think I'm right. to Art Bell somewhere in time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. Well, I have always thought the American public was particularly vulnerable and had done very little preparation for any sort of disaster. And I think this is uh, truer today than it has been at any time in my entire life. And I, I, I wonder about it, Ted, why the authorities, uh, who are facing a greater possibility of having to evacuate uh, a, a major city in the U.S. sometime soon, are doing less and less to prepare for it, or at least in public. Uh, we, we, we certainly don't know about what they've done. Art, one of the main reasons why there's no activity is because uh, those who are in government service, the civil service really are the people who put these plans into operation. They A, uh, do not have the courage to put their name on any plan in case it goes wrong. Mm. 
and they do not uh, um, have the the in, the inspiration to call in people who do know to help them with their planning. Well, here's something that I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me, Ted. Um, we stopped building nuclear shelters, fallout shelters, long time ago. Right. The Russians, uh, with the ending of the Cold War, are still building them. How come? Right. Why? Because they are aware. Uh, okay, let me backtrack here for a moment. Uh, when the uh, Cold War was on, a fellow called Crescent H. Kearney was appointed by the nuclear agency to write a manual of, and he did, called How to Survive a Nuclear War. And the first thing that Kesh Crescent did was to go to Europe and see how they did it, how they survived. Mm -hmm. He came back, and the very first paragraph he wrote in his book, it's a very thick manual, says the only hope for the American public at time of nuclear or any other catastrophe is self-help civil defense, self becoming aware of the problems involved and organizing to do something about it. Now, we are missing that leadership that tells the American people from the top, instead of the president and the vice president going around with this mealy-mouth attitude, <laughs> oh, we're very sorry that you lost everything, and we'll send you a few million dollars to help you out, which never reaches the people anyway. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking that attitude, they now, while we have time, could be saying everyone needs three months' food, Everyone needs one gallon of water per day for each family member. And a family of four needs 336 gallons for three months. That sounds tremendous. But Art, it's only uh, uh, 12, 25-gallon um, containers. And if you start saving water in containers, you can have that supply put aside in no time. We have to have the American people have to be made to realize they are completely on their own and until they do realize that what Ed Dames is saying and I agree with him we are going to have starving refugees in this country and I've seen it in my lifetime and it should not happen here and it doesn't have to happen here matter of fact I'm gonna have Ed Dames on at the end of next week you may or may not be hearing a, a little tiny beep in the background I'll try and get it a little closer there it is oh that little beep that you're hearing yes. is the beep of a Geiger counter. I've got oh. a, I've got a Geiger counter. Uh, most people don't. I've got one, thanks to Bob Crane. Right. And I'm looking at the scale, and yes. it, the scale is MR slash forward slash hour HR. Right. Right. And it's uh, between zero and five hundred. Right. And I would like to ask you a question. Yes. Um. Right now, it's just reading incidental background radiation. You know, right. occasionally it, it receives a little bit from space, I suppose. Yes. However, if there was a nuclear accident or there was a nuclear terrorism or a nuclear war, right. how many of these, uh, what does MR forward slash hour stand for? Millerentkins or something? It, yes, it's the amount of, we can keep it very simple, it's the amount of uh, radio particles or whatever's in the air you know the the gamma rays for example are in the atmosphere and can be triggered and increased um, how can I describe this if you have a balloon on a string and it's sitting there quite quietly doing nothing until you blow it 
And when you blow it, it moves forward in a direction. Well, that is the atmosphere around a nuclear plant, around a chemical plant, around many areas, especially in your area out there in Vegas where you <laughs> I know. have um, I know. I know. Site 51 and all that stuff. That's right. And, the, and that counter has a register. And when it goes from uh, 5 to 10 retogens, 10 retogens mean you should be start looking for cover. At 10? At 10. All right. Where? Now, that doesn't mean to say you're going to fall down because you've got 10 exposure, but it does mean you start collecting that exposure and your body absorbs it, and you don't want that to happen. Okay. At what point uh, is there a fatal danger? Um, I know this means how much you're getting per hour. Yes. Uh, but at what point should I really be afraid how, uh, it, as the scale goes up? As I I'm said, a very conservative person, and I say around 17 to 20, you should start considering that you're in a, in a situation that is unhealthy. Now, in Chernobyl, they took 70 to 80 retogens, but uh, they, they, they didn't last very long. They had tremendous problems. Hmm. But, you know, Art, you raise a very sore point with me, and as much as this same Crescent County I was talking about produced for free a KFM meter, a fallout meter, Kearney fallout meter. It was paid for by the government. I give the plans away free to anyone that buys my book. But everyone should have one of those because it costs pennies to make. It's made out of simple, very ingenious materials. Um, Michael, I won't go into it now, but it's very simple. And it reads as accurately as the one you have that's, uh, that you paid probably a lot of money for or someone gave it to you. But everyone should have one because you raise a very good point. You are monitoring your own atmosphere right now. That's right. But outside where people live, when anything happens, as you described, the procedure is going to be zombies in white suits and completely covered will come along with counters like the one you have and take readings. They will then tell us whether we're in a difficult area or not whether we should be doing something about it. But the point I make is they are all in their protective suits and we are standing around in our normal clothes. So the first thing we have to do is to be able to monitor our own atmosphere just as you are doing. Hmm. And I repeat, if you get around 17 to 20 on your scale, you have a, 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 a poisonous atmosphere around you. And, and it doesn't right. have to be as a nuclear accident. It's right. been well, wafted in from all over the place. Help me out here. 17, you said you're very conservative. 17 to 20 mH per hour would, right. would, would be fatal or make a person sick after how long? About uh, five hours to an up to uh, between okay. four and five hours. It oh, will my. make them extremely sick and uh, it will affect their thyroid gland providing uh, we're talking about nuclear uh, uh, activity or nuclear spoilage coming out of a nuclear plant. And what is considered to be a fatal dose? Well, uh, you can take that same dose, uh, 17 to 20, and if you're out in it, exposed in it for uh, 20 hours, uh, that's a fatal dose. You've that's just it, absorbed huh? enough. All right. What about a, a really high dose, like a 50 to 100 uh, MR? Uh, you have about you have about three minutes to get out of it or to take cover or put on a suit. About three minutes. During the time that sh that uh, 
Three Mile Island was going crazy when no one believed what the dials were saying. There is a little room you can go to and tap the, you can actually tap into the, um, the reactor and uh, pull out this little sample of molten fuel from in the reactor and test its potency. And uh, the three men went into that room fully protected with their suits. The retigen levels and the radiation levels were so high that after one test and they brought it back to the engineers, this is documented, the engineers still didn't believe them and they said go back and do it again and they said no way because even within their suits uh, they were being ex overexposed. So this is not something to play around with. What we have to understand, Art, is it's not so much the high level of radiation that we are exposed to, it's the time factor that we are exposed. All right, I understand. We're absorbing it through our skin, and it affects the thyroid. And now here's another point. Potassium iodide and potassium iodate, both the same thing, are known to be 99% effect, effective to protect the thyroid gland. This is approved by FDA. It is stockpiled by several states. Do you have to take it before the event, or can you take it after it's the event? It's very, very nice if you have 24 hours warning. There's an 80-capsule, 80-pill procedure. But if you don't have a warning, as soon as you know you're in trouble, you start taking it immediately. And that would help. It's yeah, the odds are you're not going to get a warning. I mean, how many of us sit around well, saying, But it well, actually protects the thyroid gland immediately, mm -hmm. and it protects children. But here's the point. Potassium iodide is not available to the general public, and FEMA carried out a research as to whether they were going to stockpile it in the, uh, around the area of the 109 nuclear plants we have in this country. Do you know what the answer was? It's cheaper to pay for thyroidectomies than it is to stockpile you're kidding. little tiny pills. You're, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. It's documented. I'll send you the documentation. Now, taking out the thyroid <laughs> disturbs the whole endocorine system and uh, you gain weight it's a terrible situation they, that is the way it is with FEMA today they said it's cheaper to take out the thyroids to pay after for thyroidectomies than it is to stockpile these pills because they have to be recycled that's incredible that's true that really is incredible I know and, and uh, again I go to the larger cities where if you were to suddenly say New York you've got to evacuate right now or within the next uh, five hours or 12 hours it just couldn't be done could it? No, it Los Angeles forget it so isn't it better to say New York in case there's a spill you've got seven nuclear plants in your state in case there's a spill here's what you do now look on the other side of the coin yes um, as you well know Chernobyl had only one level of containment Right. And U.S. authorities say that U.S. nuclear plants are safe because they have two levels of containment. So if one fails, the other um, will save us. That is a lot of Bunkerman boulder dash. It is? Yes. Because the reason Chernobyl failed was not because it's a bad plant, not for the, any of the reasons that you've just stated or has been issued. The re and, and incidentally, Chernobyl is still in operation. The reason Chernobyl failed was because the Russians, when they got into this nuclear steam generating industry, 
being the intelligent people they are and very straight-minded, they said, we're producing steam. We have loads of steam engineers that know how to handle steam, mm -hmm. so they put them in charge of the nuclear plants. Now, these Russians, because they get uh, a better car and a better apartment for saving money, they looked at this nuclear plant and said, why do they need all those silly systems? So they started eliminating backup systems, and they started trying to run the plants with less coolant water, etc., etc. What they didn't know is, and here's the point, Art, listen to this very carefully. Okay. When a nuclear reactor reaches a certain point, it doesn't matter how many backup systems you have, you cannot stop meltdown. And Three Mile Island was 24 seconds from meltdown. The China Syndrome. The China Syndrome, exactly. Um, I remember very well, because I lived not far from it. Yes. I remember very well when uh, Three Mile Island occurred, and what I remember is that they lied. Yes. I, and I'm not afraid to say that. They lied. And um, only later did we find out how close they really came. Only right. later did we actually find out what was discharged into the air. Right. And at the time it was occurring, I can assure you, all the local stations in the area were giving all kinds of calm assurances that right. everything was all right and nothing was out of control and all the rest of it because I was there. There are 2,500 lawsuits pending. 30 of which have already been settled secretly. So you know... Really? They're, they're, yes. Yes, documented. Send you documentation. Now, the thing to remember also, at Three Mile Island, they had no potassium iodide, and they didn't start making it until the fifth day. They rushed 250,000 uh, bottles of the stuff, and it, got there. it would have been there too late had there been a, a serious accident. And what happened at Three Mile Island was, and it will happen again and again and again, the political faction, the engineering faction, the, the plant leasing faction, and the politicians all were arguing with each other. Each one said, no, we can't do that, it's bad for politics. We can't do that, we won't get any more money appropriated. We can't do that, it'll scare the public and so on and so forth. And remember, it was the governor of the state who declared the evacuation order. But by the time he'd given it, 80,000 people had already left on their own. Oh, well, there were a lot of smart people out there, and they, yeah. they, they knew better. And it's happening now, Art. What, the whistleblowers in the nuclear industry are trying to alert the public. Grigory Medvedev did the same thing. He wrote the book, The Truth About Chernobyl, and he almost gave his life. His book was too late. What is the current truth about Chernobyl? Now, I know the sarcophagus they have built around it is beginning to crack. Yes. And they fear explosions. They fear all yes. kinds of things. Um, what's going on there now? Well, the main problem, Art, is that the meltdown occurred, went through the bottom of the reactor. They've tunneled underneath to try to uh, put a barrier there but the, uh, the fissionable material is, is, is going down into the earth. It's going down into Mother Earth. They can't stop it, and that's the major problem. So it'll, what, what does it do? It just... It'll hit water. When it hits water, it's going to explode. It's going to be a terrible situation. And incidentally, there's another side effect that is not publicized. You see the, the government 
well, I'm not going to say our government, but whether it's purposely or not, we are not being informed that uh, Russian workers who work outside, farm workers, uh, steel workers, builders, etc., yes. are now suffering uh, great eruptions on their skin. They're having huge breakouts on their skin because the atmosphere is so highly charged and the contaminants have uh, all over the place, just into the soil, and it's a terrible situation. Do you know... Uh, below Chernobyl, how far down is the water table? Do you have any idea? Um, well, from the latest information that I could gather, uh, they've tunneled uh, uh, three levels. They have miners working 24 hours around the clock, putting mine shafts across and underneath. And uh, they have gone uh, some two to 300 feet, according to the information we have. And uh, the water t they're right on top of the water table. And if they don't, you know, they're filling these tunnels with concrete. But, you know, we see this going on, Art, but we're making the same thing here. Savannah River, for example, has 500 underground storage containers full of nuclear waste where they made the uh, plutonium, etc., for the yes, bombs. Yes, yes. And uh, there are between 750,000 to 1 million gallons of waste material the uh, containers that they made for them are already breaking down. They're, they're less than two years old. What do you think about the high-level site that they're talking about at Yucca Mountain near me? Well, um, you know, let's go back to Chernobyl. Let's go back to uh, Hanford, Savannah River. All they've uh, got to do, they say, is to be able to store this stuff for some tens of thousands of years successfully, and as long as they can do that, why, it'll be rendered uh, uh, more or less harmless. Uh, but I don't know anything that we've done for tens of thousands of years. Do you? Well, no. Well, here's, the, here's a very simple way to answer that question, Art. Millions of dollars in contracts have been issued to major companies in this country to develop a successful system of either storage or the, the, um, the dissipation of nuclear waste. So right. far, Ted? no plan has developed. No plan. Successful. Yeah, I know. Uh, hold on, Ted. We'll be back to you after the top of the hour. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. <laughs> Listening to Art Bell somewhere in time. 
tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from April 13, 1998. Good morning, everybody. Ted Wright is here. He wrote Ted Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual, recommended reading from FEMA. We'll get right back to him. Something about those words. Good morning, everybody. It um, it's a very interesting topic, survival. And there are those who don't want to survive, or they feel that uh, whatever it is that might occur would be so bad that they'd better walk out and uh, open the arms and welcome whatever it is and take their ride to whatever is next. Others would like to survive, and I presume that what we are doing tonight is for those who would like to survive. Either tornadoes, a nuclear accident. Um, a nuclear not-so-accident, that sort of thing. At any rate, we'll get back to Ted in a moment. He survived the bombing in World War II in London, and that'll sort of give you a taste for survival. So he'll be back in a moment. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think... As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. What's amazing to me, Alex, it's happening so fast. I mean, we're getting hit from implanted chips, the possibility of paperless cash. Something's wrong here. These things aren't supposed to happen. This is real society being folded into an artificial habitat like rats inside of a cage. This is not a game. Don't say you weren't warned, ladies and gentlemen, because we're all in this together, and you are being warned right now. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Once again, here is Ted Wright. Ted, um, I, I want to, I'm going to make you tell us about your book, um, Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual is recommended reading by FEMA. Uh, where do people get this? Um, they get it by calling my answering service 
Uh, my book uh, was published by a very small publisher. Okay. They had no budget for pr uh, promotion. I promote my own materials. All right. Uh, my book was, was printed originally as a self-help. When it was examined by Ingram, by the way, it won the top 400 of its year. Um, when it was examined by Ingram, they declared it to be a textbook, and that's what it is. It's a textbook for survival, and it deals with every aspect of survival step by step by step, telling you exactly what to do, how to do it, and most importantly, why. All right. I'd like to raise this point for you, Art, as a survival type of uh, situation. We talk about uh, how much radiation can we stand and so on and so forth. Right. After um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Japanese were surprised to find that several surrounding villages were completely untouched uh, physically. The people were just as healthy as before the thing went off. And they did examinations, and they found that these villages mainly were um, concerned with the manufacture of misu and other sea, seaweed iodine-type products that the Japanese people love. Uh -huh. So from that, uh, it's a very simple conclusion, and I wrote a report on this, um, my uh, Preparing Your Body for Physical Survival. If you have a strong immune system, and you have fortified it with the um, natural things that it needs, you can withstand more radioactive exposure than a person who's very weak. I'm sure that would be true. Yes. All right. Now, now I need that... that's an aspect of survival that isn't really considered uh, part of the food, water, etc. Now... How much is the book? The book is uh, fourteen ninety-five. I uh, ship it out by um, by priority mail, three bucks. So it's uh, eighteen ninety-five. That three bucks would be seventeen ninety-five. Seventeen ninety-five. I'm sorry. Okay, so seventeen ninety-five will give them the complete price. Yes. Um, somebody has written here from Fort Wayne, Indiana, asking, Art, enjoy the show. Could you please ask Ted Wright a good way to store large amounts of drinking water? And before you answer that, I want to ask about my own situation. Yeah. I've thought about that a few times. Uh, here where I am, I've got a water well, thank goodness. Right. But I have a hot tub, Ted. Now, traditionally, uh, people with hot tubs, and I, I was one of them, treated uh, the water. It was horrible. I had to do it all the time with chemicals, uh, which would right. cause you to sneeze and hack when you'd go in the hot tub right. and to keep the, uh, you know, the right pH balance and all the rest of that baloney. I'd use chemicals. Then uh, I went to a fair out here, and lo and behold, here's this brand-new system that uses hydrogen peroxide and an ultraviolet lamp. This hydrogen peroxide is slowly run by this uh, UV radiation and then added to the water. And I have never in my life seen anything like it. It's, it's the most pure, sparkling water you've ever seen in your whole life. You never have to empty it, refill it. You have no smell of chemicals. This water is so pure, it does something to the water molecule. Uh, I really don't know the, the technology behind it. But, I mean, you can put this in your eyes, and it's that pure. I would presume it would be drinkable, would it? I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it? No. For one very good reason. Um, I like to... I am absolutely positive the water I put away is pure... And uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's a very 
other aspect of survival we must consider here, we need our precious drinking water for drinking and food. There you have a wonderful supply of water. You're going to be the cleanest survivor that ever walked, huh? <laughs> well, I was thinking of drinking it, but you said no, huh? Uh, oh, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, if it, if it can be established clearly that it's safe, that it isn't going to affect the body in any way, um, I'm, I'm scared about these uh, peroxides and radiations and things like this, which do wonderful things for swimming pools and that. I've been in them. I'm a swimmer myself. But um, I want to drink water that I know is safe. But I, I also fill up the uh, detergent bottles and things like that for uh, personal hygiene and saving my precious water. Well, uh, this, uh, this faxer from Fort Wayne wanted to know the best way to store large amounts of drinking water. The best way to store large amounts of drinking water is to have a good, clean container uh, to put in. Uh, it's the same rule as a computer. Garbage in, garbage out. That's true. Put in good, clean water. If your faucet water is not uh, to your liking, then filter the water. There are many inexpensive filters now. Filter the water. And remember, the enemy of water is light and heat. So store the water in a cool, dark place. I like to store mine in the ground. But um, cool, dark place. Now... We're talking about hurricanes, we're talking about tornadoes, etc. You're in earthquake country there. You need your water in the ground. Uh, I have a pallet root cellar in my book uh, using pallets that are thrown away by the stores. Hmm. Um, put your water in the ground away from the house because if, if your house comes down on top of your supplies, you're, you're very good as point. badly off as if you didn't have any at all. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, all right, you mentioned uh, in things that we might have talked about HARP. Now, the weather, as we know, is changing. Yes. Do you think HARP may be playing a part of that? Well, you know, uh, as I said at the beginning, we all have choices. Yes. Now, um, I have, let me answer it this way. I carry, uh, I keep very meticulous notes on every earth movement that's occurred over the last several years. Right. And recently... There was, you know, you you, you have a little cardex system. You put it down, you tick it off, you put it down, you tick it off, and you do all this stuff rote. But I was looking, and, I, and it suddenly occurred to me that all these repetitive uh, Fiji Islands, for example, has been hit recently, Auckland Islands. There was, a, there was a repetitive pattern. And so that made me look again, and I realized if I had the longitudes and latitudes, I would be able to pinpoint what was going on. So I went back and laboriously added this to my records, and I made this discovery. Over the last two and one-half years, 68% mm -hmm. of all Earth movements on the planet occurs between the, what I call the 2045 path. That is, uh, longitude 20 to longitude 45, and if you take that as a beam across the flat earth, that is approximately where the Mexican border and the American border is, mm -hmm. 20, and up there on the 45th, it's approximately the area of the Canadian-United uh, States border, the 38th parallel. Right. Now, that line 
I then took my my cards and I dated everything. And starting about two years, two and a half years ago, the Earth activity within that line, and we imagine it's a path by a satellite or whatever, uh, started at the mouth of the Mediterranean. Italy was having earthquakes oh, yes. around the Mediterranean. Yes. It progressed through Iraq and Iran. That's right. It progressed through China, uh, actually India and so on. China. China has had tremendous earthquake activity. Afghanistan, which has just had terrible activity, and it's moved from west to east around the planet in that band uh, and it now is reaching, uh, it should be reaching Japan anytime soon this year and at the end of this year, it's been predicted by others other than myself, it will be going across the uh, Pacific. The Ring of Fire is extremely active and we would expect that that path will then hit the California coast which is extremely active right now and that pattern is too consistent for Mother Nature. Mother Nature is never consistent. And this is a consistency which leads one to believe that something is, is somebody's falling around with things that they shouldn't be falling around with. Well, um, I, I think I commented to some caller before you came on the air. The Russians actually offered to create a cyclone. They claim to have a satellite in space now that could create a cyclone. To uh, put out the fires in Indonesia. That's, that's correct. Yes. They actually claim that. Now, whether they're going to do it, whether they've tried to do it, I don't know. Well, but you know, uh, TARP is based on Nikolai Tesla's work. And we know that in his lifetime, he built a tower and uh, devastated a huge area in Russia. All right. Let's go to the phone and see what the people have to say. First time caller line, you're on the air with Ted Wright. Hi. Uh, hi, this is uh, Ralph from Bakersfield. Yes, sir. Um, on the concern of um, disposing of, the, of nuclear material yes. and whatnot, um, there, uh, there's a Discovery magazine. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the show. Um, probably about a month and a half ago, I couldn't be totally sure, um, discussing the issue. Uh, and uh, basically what it came down to, they're talking about how the United States government has um, already got plans moving forward to start in the year. It, it was... Uh, 2080 something to build a storage facility in Santa Fe, um, not for United States waste, but for the waste of the entire, basically oh, the entire world. Great, that's good. Why don't we and store everybody's waste? Good. I'm supposing the reason that we haven't really heard much about it would be because it's in Santa Fe, and um, but it's pretty interesting how they're going to build it. Um, it's supposed to be built under the premise that the United States won't be around in 500 years. Well, uh, whatever it is, uh, this high-level nuclear waste has got to be stored successfully for mm -hmm. tens of thousands of years. Yes. There, and now, how much confidence do you have that we can do that? <laughs> I'll answer that one. All right, please do. I may. Um, being uh, human as it is, if they had a safe system to handle this stuff, would they not tout it across the press of the world? We could make a lot of money. But what the natural tendency is, we take a mountain somewhere, yep. dig a huge hole in it, yep. fill it with nuclear waste, yep. put a guard at the front and say, if you go near it, we'll shoot you. Yep. And then they say, 
This is absolutely safe. We tell you it's safe. I know. Now, how do we know it is? We don't. 500 years, 50 years from now, uh, there's a huge explosion. Uh, Magma comes up. Oh, goodness me. (sighs) Um, Considering it's going to be right next to me at Yucca Mountain, in all probability, (laughs) I'm really wild about hearing all this. Wild card line, you're on the air with Ted Wright. Hello. Hello there. Yeah, hi. Hi. Oh, that's the first time caller line. Well, whatever. You're on the wild card line. doesn't matter, sir. You're on the air. And we're, you know, 100 miles near Hanford. Ah. And uh, I just wanted to comment there. Um, 1967, I was 10 years old, and I couldn't take my eyes off an article that was in the newspaper at that time and showed miles and miles of underground storage facility at that time for the Hanford plant. And how many years, you know, have gone by, and Lord knows what they've got going by now there. And this is above the Columbia River, you know, if you're familiar with the area. I think the important thing to remember, and you raise a very good point, caller, that uh, Hanford, uh, Savannah River, and these other uh, exposures which are now being ferreted out didn't just happen yesterday. They happened uh, in the 80s and the 70s, and they've been going on for a great number of years. So we don't know what's going on now. But uh, public awareness and the uh, the watchdogs have managed to unearth information where this stuff was going on uh, 20 years ago. And uh, it's a very serious situation. It needs that the public get up in arms about this. But when we have a public that uh, only 30% vote in the, in the presidential elections, less than 12% vote in municipal elections, That's I'm true. afraid... Uh, we haven't got much hope until something bad happens. Uh, there are two theories about that. One is that the voters in America are apathetic and don't give a damn. The other, though, is that Americans basically are happy. Yes. And they um, they simply uh, they will go to the polls if they're upset, if something is going wrong, if the economy is going wacko, they get up and go to the polls. But if everything's going pretty much all right, they're apathetic. They don't care. Well, doesn't that support the theory, Art, that we don't tell the public what's really going on oh, yes. in regards to natural events? Oh, yes. Yes, yes it absolutely does. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Ted Wright. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Hi, where are you? This is Ben from uh, Wisconsin. Hi, Ben. Yeah, I got a question for uh, your guest on there. Ted, yes. Yeah, I was wondering what's the, uh, the cheapest uh, a shelter would cost? All right. Uh, you mean a, a full-fledged, in-the-ground kind of shelter? Yeah. All right. Uh, what would it cost a person, good question, to build a reasonable shelter? There is a person called the grandfather of the log homes, and he claims that you can make a good living, three-bedroom, etc., for around $500. You're kidding. No. Underground? Yes. Three-bedroom? Yes. And you do it by digging into the side of a hill or terrain, and you line the hole with plastic, and then you start building uh, a frame inside, and uh, it's very insulated, and it's very, very nice. Now, we have to clarify semantics on underground art. Are we talking about 20 feet underground, or are we talking about uh, in the side of a hill with the front of the house uh, level with the hill and the rest of the house inside it. Well, I presume that's what you're talking about. Yes, I am. Yes. Uh-huh. 
Yes. Oh, which would which would protect a person at least under moderately severe conditions. But yeah, we're not talking about a bomb here. We're talking about radiation fallout mostly. And if it's uh, level with natural terrain, uh, Mother Nature allows the wind to follow the terrain. We only have problems when there's a building or something like that that gets in the way. Actually, uh, if you are at ground zero of a detonation, it's, it doesn't matter anyway, does it? I mean, you, you, you well, within, as a private uh, citizen, you really couldn't build anything that would protect you against uh, a more or less direct hit. No, not really. They say uh, 10 to 15 miles. Ten They'll tell you two miles, but uh, it's doubtful. All right. Uh, hold on, Ted. We are at the bottom of the hour. My guest is Ted Wright. He has written Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13, 1998. <laughs> presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired April 13, 1998. And a guest who knows about survival. He went through the London bombing. That's what he's talking about tonight. Survival. Through all sorts of things. We'll get back to Ted Wright in a moment. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price. The package includes podcasting, which automatically downloads shows for you, and the iPhone app. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. That's over a thousand shows for you to collect and enjoy. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up. Looking for the truth? 
You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. What's amazing to me, Alex, it's happening so fast. I mean, we're getting hit from implanted chips, the possibility of paperless cash. Something's wrong here. These things aren't supposed to happen. This is real society being folded into an artificial habitat like rats inside of a cage. This is not a game. Don't say you weren't warned, ladies and gentlemen, because we're all in this together, and you are being warned right now. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Well, all right, Uh, Ted Wright is my guest. We are talking about survival, something that interests some of you and not others. As you know, I've been suggesting to you I felt a coming earthquake. Earlier today, uh, there was an earthquake in South Carolina, and here is a caller from South Carolina. You, did you feel that earthquake today, sir? No, I didn't. I was, I'm probably about 20 miles from where it happened. Uh-huh. And, uh, well, something woke me up. I work nights, and uh, I'm usually dead asleep at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't get off the floor. Just uh, pretty big wake-up call for people in South Carolina. You don't have a lot of earthquakes there, do you? No, but uh, I know about two years ago I was reading that uh, uh, the Charleston area was uh, ripe for a, a big one there. Yep. They had, I forget when it was. No, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, do you yeah. have a question for my guest? Well, you caught me by surprise, really. I didn't really expect to get through. I try to get through every night. But uh, what do you... I guess what I really want to know is, I know if there's a big enough earthquake, there's no electricity, there's uh, stuff, no water, and things like that. And I was listening the other night about a fellow that was saying, freeze a lot of water in your freezer. Yep, there. Th- th- that was uh, one suggestion, Ted. Uh, we did have a caller the other night, or a guest, who suggested um, that you could freeze water. Yes. And uh, in blocks, uh, and then when you need it, uh, it you know, in the short term, if the power goes out, hours later, you're going to have water. You defrost your water, and there it is. That's true, but uh, you can clean out your milk containers and other containers and fill them with water, and when the power goes out, you have water, and it, if you have some frozen, that's a bonus. But um, it's, I guess, you know, uh, we're planting seeds here, Art, and if it's happy, people are happy with frozen water, go for it. Uh-huh. All right. I um, found it, uh, I had a little irony while you were doing that commercial. You said your chances of success with the IRS in an audit is about 15%. That's right. And I figure that the chances of success uh, in a disaster without any preparation is about the same. Um, here's somebody who wants to know, regarding storing food, Yes. what is a good, preferably cheap container for storing 25 pounds to 50 pounds of dried grains? I would say the cheapest container and most successful, I use it myself, those 30-gallon uh, trash containers with the good tight lid, and uh, I line them with plastic, and I put in my grain, either loose or in bags, and then seal the top well, and um, put the lid on tight, and I put them in my root cellar. My uh, four by four cubic uh, foot root cellar will hold uh, four of those containers plus uh, a lot of packages on the top. Okay, let me ask you about a fairly controversial aspect of all yes. this, Chad. 
Um, people like yourself that prepare for disaster, maybe right. have a fallout shelter, you've got stored food, you've got a lot of things. Yes. If there really was a disaster, uh -huh. I remember a Twilight Zone. Right. Remember that remember Twilight well, Zone? I remember it well. well what are you uh, going to do when people come over the wall and want your food? That's right. Well, in my book, I developed what I called the food torpedo, and it's a four-foot uh, PVC with J-caps on the end. It's full of uh, various types of food. There are many ways of doing it, and I bury them in the ground. They've, I've thrown them in swimming pools. They're watertight. They're absolutely safe. And if I am in the unfortunate position of someone taking my food, uh, I would offer to share it with them, of course, but... If they uh, take my food, take my food, please, um, I already have my secret supplies that uh, they don't know about. So, another, but I guess where I was going was... The answer to that, uh, the true answer is, I have a program called my OPN program, my Organization of Prepared Neighborhoods, and it works on the principle that if a street, a neighborhood, a community is prepared as we did in London where everyone is prepared themselves and as a community we protect each other that problem of security doesn't arise because we arrange our own security procedures and patrols. All right, enough said. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Ted Wright. Good morning. Hello. <clears throat> Hello. Yes, sir. You're on sir. the air. Where are you? Am I on the air? Yes, where are you? Oh, I'm in uh, Juneau, Alaska. Okay. Oh, I see. We've got a little bit of a delay to uh, Juneau, so you're on the air with Ted Wright. Go ahead. Okay. Do the wild thing at 702-727-1295. Biological Chemical Warfare Center. Vic, uh, Vic, hold on. Uh, I had to eliminate that. The one thing you're not allowed to do is give your last name on the air. Oh, sorry about so that. So we'll try it again. You're Vic from Juno. Go ahead, Vic. Okay, and I attended Nuclear Biological Chemical Warfare Center at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, Marine Corps uh, training base. Yes, sir. And uh, I was wondering if I can get you uh, your fax numbers so I can go ahead and uh, send you a copy of the uh, training manuals of acute delayed effects of whole body radiation. Well, you mean me or you mean Ted Wright? Uh, well, you and then eventually to Ted Wright. Well, okay, I've got a three-page max. So um, you might... Uh, no, this is just one page. One page. Yes. All right, Thank caller? You. On a zero to, zero to 50 rads, you just start developing uh, the white blood cells are, are affected. Right. From 50 to 150 rads, the skin and white blood cells and your gastrointestinal tract, you start getting the nausea and vomiting. Right. From 150 to 400 rads, affects your bone marrow. Right. You have a three-week assumption. Uh, death is up on rate is 5 to 50%, right about there. From 400 to 800 rads, as you'll see in the chart that I'm going to send you, the bone marrow and the gastrointestinal tract is affected. You start vomiting, diarrhea. The death rate is almost 50 to 90% within six weeks. Well, I answered that. I was pretty conservative. Hey, Art. Yeah. You're very conservative, sir, very conservative. And the epicenter of the blast rate, you have to remember keeping in mind that the dust is what's going to be radioactive right. wherever that spreads right. to. I, I gave it a 15-minute, what you said, a 15-mile radius. Right. Be protected as long as you're below ground or uh, on the ground. Right. Well, we appreciate, cover. we appreciate the information. Really? Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Bell. And thank you for not screening the calls. I'm uh, very impressed I just got right through. Okay, take care. Well, that's the way we do it here. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Ted Wright. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, my name's Bob. I'm from Las Vegas. Yes, Bob. Yeah, I was 
concerned about the uh, storing of water. I always seem to uh, contaminate the water when I'm storing it after I... Yeah, I've got to agree with you, uh, uh, Ted. Water does not store well at uh, anywhere near room temperature. It begins to uh, right. quickly deteriorate. Right. The enemy of water is light and heat. You need to keep your water around 60 degrees, which is ground. Everything in the ground stays around 63 degrees. Now, I have to say that I know Las Vegas uh, uh, soil conditions, and that probably would not hold true unless you went to a deeper depth. But uh, stored inside a, a, a prepared cellar that has plastic around it, it would be quite safe because it stays cool. Um, I lived in uh, the upper desert, Mojave Desert, and in front of TV cameras, I, I took out of the ground uh, milk containers that had been in there for two years. It was 105 degrees. I drank it. It was cool and fresh. But it is a matter of putting clean water in a clean container and keeping it cool, cool and, and out dark. Of like. All right. That makes sense. Yes, it does. I have uh, one other comment. Yes. Um, Mr. Bell, you're talking about the uh, Yucca Mountain. Yes. About them storing stuff near you. Yes. Well, it's uh, well they're going to use it up. I used to work out there, and they have a uh, what they call a plasma generator. They use uh, spent nuclear pellets, bombard it with lasers until it goes molten. It compresses, and it goes off like a small sun going nova. They can generate enough power to run a town for uh, 15,000 people for about 10 minutes. Well, that storage facility, you did say you're in Las Vegas, right? Yes. Not just near me. It's near you, too. Yes. Yes, I know. <laughs> See, it's, it's not just going to be stored. They're actually going to be using it. Well, uh, I've not heard of those plans. Uh, I hope that's true, although I don't know how wild I am about many suns going off near me either. Right. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with uh, a Ted Wright. Hello. Thank you. This is Helen from Cincinnati. Hi. I would like to say that we, 10 years ago, the Fernald Uranium Processing Plant was closed down around here, and they operated under the guise of a fertilizer plant, <laughs> but it was really uranium. And uh, there was a money settlement and a medical checkup for those living within six miles, but we didn't know any of that. So we moved in here 10 years ago, two miles from the plant. Boy. I wonder if we're safe uh, living next to those deteriorating tanks over there that's above ground. My answer to that would be, what does your inner voice say? My common sense says uh, I wouldn't have any part of it. Oh, mine too, but tell that to a husband that don't want to move again when we're this old. Uh, about stored water, I hear that uh, a drop of Clorox in each gallon might help too. What do you think about that, sir? Well, there's a, there's a traditional theory that um, you use 10 drops of bleach per gallon, etc., I like to uh, clean my containers out very thoroughly with at least four ounces of uh, bleach. I rinse the inside of the container very thoroughly. I empty it out, and I immediately fill it with fresh, clean water. All of this is in your book, isn't it? Yes, it in is. other words, there are it, it, it is a detailed, yes. virtual uh, textbook on yes. how to survive. Yes. It ought to be in everybody's library as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's what uh, a lot of other people have said, Art. All right. Um, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Ted Wright and Art Bell. Hi. Where are you, please? I am in Tennessee, Mr. Bell. Tennessee. All uh, right. My cell phone isn't killing you. Uh, no, no. Sounds all right. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm a caver. I've talked to you before. 
when Ed Dames made one of his big statements about uh, getting underground. Yep, I'm going to have him on next week, by the way. Yeah, um, one thing that some people should realize is that, you know, a lot the Army Corps engineers done a study about using caves as fallout shelters. Yes, sir. And they need to realize that caves don't make the best fallout shelters because of uh, the venting that they do. Right. And uh, so... It, what does your guest have to think about using caves just as a as a storage place itself? Because you did mention something about the ground temperature, and caves are pretty stable about staying between 58 and 60 degrees. That's true. Uh, Ted? Um, I, I'm all in favor of using any natural underground cave or other natural uh, opening in the ground for storage purposes. But we must remember that under extreme conditions, uh, we have to have venting. We have to have a manual air exchange system. Now, it's very fine if you have an electrical system at the present time, but I like to uh, provide for a manual, simple bellows-type situation where you can exchange the air within the uh, living cave, uh, man-made structure. Makes sense. But the uh, caves are large caves and that. It's true that they are at a certain temperature, but when it gets very cold, they also go to a very low temperature. All right. Uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Ted Wright and Art Bell. Hello. Hi. Hi. Where are you? I'm in uh, Colorado. Okay. I had uh, two questions. All right. One of them is, I'll ask and then I'll hang up. One of them is, how long will water stay fresh if it's underground or in a dark, cold place. All right, good. And another one, if you had an underground room that was airtight, um, how long would you have oxygen? Well, that would depend on how big the room was, I guess, uh, unless you had some sort of filtration system. Um, you have to have, this is it, correct. I answered this, uh, Art, with um, there has to be a system of exchanging the air, whether it be an electrical system, providing there's electricity, you have a generator, or whether you use a manual system, which are very simple uh, to construct, where you exchange the air at least once every four hours, mm. because you don't, you have no way of knowing when the oxygen level drops to a serious state. You just go to sleep, so you need to have provisions for air exchange every four hours. Okay. Um, she asked about water. water you know, you, you talked, in... you talked about storing in a cold or a cool uh, dark place. Right. If you do that, what are the expectations uh, for how long it's going to be good? Indefinite. Indefinite? Indefinite. Really? Yeah, if it's, if it's clean water and it has no contaminants in it, it can't make contaminants of its own. Uh, the natural aquifers and the water that's in the ground uh, has been there for the millennia. It comes out quite fresh. So oh, that's, that's quite remarkable. Water. That's remarkable. Clean water in art, it has to be clean water. And if it has no bacterial content, there is no reason why it should activate unless it gets heat. And I, I um, clarify that by talking about the pond. A pond in winter is clear and clean. As soon as the sun hits it in the spring, it gets green algae and it becomes activated. And it becomes alive. And that's part of the natural process. When we put clean water away in a clean container that's no contaminants and it's cool and dark, it will stay that way. It's inert. Hmm. 
That's remarkable. I'm learning a lot tonight. Um, how big is your book? It's uh, 284 pages full of illustrations. Oh, my. And uh, it's a complete text. It's very simple. It's written in a homely style. The United States Fire Association uh, claim that it's one of the... They like it because it's ease of operation and installation. Everything I talk about is very simple. Uh, earth toilets, for example... We haven't talked about toilets. One of the great problems in survival conditions is the question of sanitation and toilets. And now that we have chemical toilets that are very, very, very inexpensive, mm -hmm. but we also have to remember that if we have a chemical toilet, which is fine, it also has to be emptied. And so here we are in backyard survival conditions, and we're using our chemical toilet. We have a nice screen around it. We've educated our children, we're used to it, but we have to remember we have to make provisions for emptying the thing. Right. Uh, that has to be emptied into the ground. I tell you how to do it in my book, but if you're doing that, you might just as well construct um, an earth toilet. Well, you, you have no idea how much of a pleasure it has been having you on, and we are going to have you back again because we have barely, obviously, scratched the surface. Truly. Uh, Chad, I want to thank you, and um, I hope you sell a lot of books. You certainly deserve to. Well, thank you, Art, very much. At one point, if I may make uh, for, for your answer to your question about your spa, I've been thinking about it. Yes, sir. And I will give you this guideline. Everything we consume through our mouth, our body decides what it is it, it's de uh, detrimental to us and what isn't. What's detrimental either gets eliminated or stored. Mm -hmm. So uh, whatever is in that water, providing it is not detrimental to the body, is no problem. But I would like to see some uh, clinical analysis. I would too. Office. I would too. I just yeah. I'm amazed by the system. Uh, thank you very much, Art. It's been a pleasure. Thank you I very much, Ted. Helpful. Uh, you certainly have. Take care, my friend. That's uh, Ted Wright, who wrote a Wright's Complete Disaster Survival Manual. FEMA recommended reading material. It's written for the average guy or gal. And so if survival is on your mind, you might want to call and get a copy. It's $17.95 delivered to you. I understand it is written for the average guy or gal. That would be us, right? So what are you, the survivor? Or are you going to go out and... Open your arms and say, take me. I don't want to be around anymore. If you're a survivor, this is a book you'd want to read. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998.
You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13, 1998. A secret place in time, and that reminds me, I want to talk to you about my time machine. I have something to say. I have several things to say about that uh, shortly. Uh, we'll get to it. Hang in there. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. Back to open lines we go for the balance of the program. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Mike from Los Angeles. Yes, Mike. Uh, about the Dalai Lama, I believe that um, Sean Morton might actually have a connection to him. He might. Uh, it's true. Um, I would, I would, of course, dearly love to interview the uh, Dalai Lama. And actually, when you think about it, it might be possible. The Dalai Lama has, of course, a very great cause and I would think would want to get the word out, so you never know. I think so, too. Um, yeah, the reason I say that is because I'm kind of a friend of a friend of his. And uh, Oh, really? I, yeah. I, I think well, then maybe you have a way. Well, yeah, maybe. See what you can do. I will do that. Bless your heart. Thank you. Oh, I'd love to, oh, I'd love to interview the Dalai Lama. Of course. Actually, I think uh, she told Scott that if he went in reverse, he'd probably end up in some prior life. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. Um, oh, you're not too loud. You're going to have to get right up on your phone and yell at us. Yes. Uh, this is Doran calling from Hyattsville. Hyattsville, Maryland. Maryland, all right. Right, right outside of D.C. Ah, yes. And um would not believe what I saw when I was driving home tonight. Tonight? Yes. Near our nation's capital? Correct. What did you see? A nice, big, green fireball meteor coming down towards D.C. Don't say meteor. Well, it's a meteor. Did, did, did you see it? I saw it. it I mean, did you see it on the ground? It did not hit. It burned up. Well, then you can't know for sure that it was a meteor. Right, but I have not seen one like this. I mean, it's the same shade of green as a stoplight. Maybe it's God throwing rocks at D.C. <laughs> Well, it could be. It might be. I mean, when you think about it, if you're God, it's one of the tools you have at hand. Correct. <laughs> have you heard? Any, I mean, is there any explanation on what these green meteors or meteors or whatever? Well, I, look. The traditional explanation is that you know certain chemicals will burn certain colors as they enter the atmosphere, and I'm sure that is true for a majority of things that enter our atmosphere. Certain mineral or chemical will burn a certain color. But we are having a very unusual amount of uh, green fireballs. And do I have an explanation for it? No. Am I suspicious? Yes. I think it's proper to call everything that we don't understand, uh, that, but that we see, a meteor. No. I'm very much against that. Because you don't really know until you have recovered something, and you can see it's a rock. And then you can say, oh, yeah, it's a meteor. See, here it is. Otherwise, uh, you don't know what it is. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Yes, this is Louis from Louisville. 
Louis from Louisville. All right. You like stories, Art? Um, I love stories, sir. Stories. Well, it's it's uh, quarter after five here in Louisville. Right. And it's nighttime, and everybody there's a lot of insomniacs out tonight. Of course. Well, this is an old story. That's right. And it's a true story. Is it a good story is the important question. Well, if it's true, it's got to be good, right? Oh, uh, well. It's about a king. A king? His name was Nimrod. King Nimrod. You ever heard of Nimrod? I've heard of Nimrod. Well, you've heard of the travel trailer, Nimrod. Uh, no, I've heard of the king, Nimrod. Anyway, continue your story. Okay. He had a wife, Semiramis. Yes. And it was the first kingdom... In the world, it was mentioned in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nimrod and Semirama sat down one evening, and they tried to figure out how to control the people. They referred to them as cattle. Yes. We, we, we in modern day, we call them sheep. Mm -hmm. Plato referred to them as cattle. Okay, well. But sheep is a good term. Sheep or sheeple. All right. And they sat down, and they, they scratched their head, and they wondered, you know, how are we going to control all these people? Mm -hmm. How are we going to make them do what we want them to do? Yes. And uh, in uh, in Babylon, they had uh, uh, a group of people there that had that were very interested in astronomy. In fact, they were the first astronomers in history. Yes. And they could uh, predict uh, eclipses, uh, comets. Uh, uh, I bet I know where this is going. This is really cool. I bet. Uh, they predicted, they knew that the sun was going to go into eclipse, so they suggested to everybody that they would demonstrate their power by causing the sun to go away. That's exactly right. That was they just a wild they, guess. That they, that they could control the people mm -hmm. very easily. The stupid, uneducated masses, which were purposely stupid, because they made sure they didn't receive any education, that they could, they could control the masses uh, uh, by, uh, by frightening them, well, even I could do that. I mean, if I could, if I could figure out a way to not get the sun to come up till 11:45 tomorrow morning nationwide, and and I, know, I, I I could actually produce that. I could scare the hell out of everybody. Well, that's what's you know this face on Mars. I think the only face we have to worry about is the face we see reflected back at us in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? Well, I think you're probably right. I you? <laughs> I do. I do. I think that is the face the face we have to worry most about. Uh, that's not to say the face on Mars is not uh, something to... And by tomorrow, we're going to have the photographs of the city area. By tomorrow night, we should have some good photographs. Now, what lesson did we learn from the last uh, raw data that they gave us? Raw data in quotes, okay? We learned that we should not uh, look at and judge the first photograph that is pulled from this raw data. By airtime, by the time I get on the air tomorrow night, we should have some sort of decent image from NASA. I therefore have scheduled Richard Hoagland for tomorrow night. It will be an interesting program, one way or the other. Believe me, one way or the other. It's going to be an interesting. So, you, whatever you do, you don't want to miss tomorrow night. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art Bell. Yes. This is Sienna from Sedona, Arizona. Sienna? Sienna. That's a pretty name. Well, it's my Tibetan name. Is it? Yeah. And um, Can you get the Dalai Lama for me? Um, you know, he was on Larry King. And he's not that unaccessible. Uh, 
Larry, of course, gave his usual insipid interview yeah. and asked him a bunch of very mundane and stupid questions, and I'm sure you could do much better. Like what? Oh, he asked him what he was doing as the Dalai Lama. Really? What's, yeah. your, what's your favorite movie, Dolly? Um, well, uh, we're going to talk about seven years into that because uh, in, I know that you've seen it because you've mentioned it. I was just I was, I was kidding. I, I just saw it, as a matter of fact. It was okay, not that good a movie. Did you notice where the Dalai Lama in that movie, which is the current Dalai Lama, uh, was interested in making movies? He must, yeah, oh, well, he was interested in watching movies, and I suppose ultimately he would have loved to have made one. He must be about 60 years old now. Yes, he's a, uh, I was, he, he looked on uh, Larry King to be about 55, and he was such a sweet, sweet man. I just adored him. Well, I would love to interview him. I, I'm calling about your time machine. Uh, yes. Um, I'm glad you didn't use it. Well, not yet, anyway. I mean, it's terribly tempting. Well, I'm going to tell you something. What? You can't time travel alone. You need the resources of others because it's a wretched world out there in time travel right now. There's a strong criminal element. And, figures. Uh, yes. and Time thieves. It figures. And uh, also... Um, you have to be physically prepared. Uh, your body has to go through a fasting period. Really? I, I, I mean, you just can't go time to... I mean, I mean, I know this could make sense to the most... Oh, I'd be dead then. If, if you've got to be pure, uh, pure of body, pure of heart, then I'd fry like a McDonald's french fry. Well, you don't have to be pure of heart and pure of body... Uh, forever, because I'm going to tell you something, there's some very wicked people out there with time travel. Well, that's a, that's what I've been hearing. I, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Time thieves. It figures, right? Now, there would be something you could do. You could go to another time, and you could steal. And what a getaway. And you're gone. I wonder if that's where some things actually have gone. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Art. Uh, I was just wondering, I had a couple of questions. Do you got any pictures of that time travel machine on there? Or not, or yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, I put it up on my studio cam once, uh, but I have taken some rather good 35-millimeter photographs of it, and I'm going to get those developed and scanned and on the website, all right? All right. That's very nice. And one more question. Sure. Have you ever had a show or anybody on that has dealt with the Illuminati? Well, I was going to open up an Illuminati line one night and just to see what I would get. What do you think I would get? I don't know. Probably a lot of people claiming they're members. And well? Only a couple of people. Well, um, let's find out. All right? All right. All right. I hereby declare my first-time caller line to be an Illuminati line. Let's test the theory. Are there any Illuminati members out there? particularly members that would like to tell all. If you are a member of the Illuminati, call now. Area code 702-727-1222. Illuminati members only. 
Now, this requires the cooperation of the audience. All right? We're going to test and see if there are any Illuminati out there. I promised to do this for a while, so why not now? See, it's ringing. Now, do you suppose that's an Illuminati guy on there or gal? Let's find out. Hello there on my Illuminati line. You're on the air. Hello? See? It's not an Illuminati person. Somebody just doing it. Try again. On my Illuminati... No. See, they hung up. See, that's why I have a hard time with these things. Try it again. On my Illuminati line, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Are you going to say anything? Yes. Yes? Are you an Illuminati member? Yes, we are. We? You? Are, are there more than one? Well, no, I'm over here alone. You're, you're, you're a member of... What is the Illuminati? Well, it's a or, kind of a organization that goes back to the cabal in the Middle Ages. That far? Yeah, but, well, that's where they trace their origins from. And do you control... What do you control? What do you do? I don't really know what the Illuminati does. Well, they were always seeking archaeological discoveries, starting with, well, that started with Napoleon and the Battle of the Pyramids in 1798. Why do so many people fear you? Well, just mainly because we pulled the strings for the higher organizations in the United States. So you, you admit to that, then? Oh, yes. How long have you been a member? We've been, I've been a member myself for 10 years. So you're telling me that you and your buds control the U.S. government behind the scenes. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. And you do so by what means? I mean, what power do you have over our elected leaders to be able to control things? Well, the successive presidents that have started after... Uh, Truman. Yes. They always get briefed once they get elected by the Illuminati, so to speak. So, again, though, I ask, what is the power that you have over these presidents that allows you to brief them and tell them what they must do? It's kind of what Edgar Mitchell alluded to when he talks about the, the ultimate Big Brother scenario, where where it's just uh, the Hiram, the, the Illuminati members, and say the CIA or the, or the so-called initial organizations, have always controlled the, the uh, executive branch of the government since, like I said earlier, since President Truman. All right, but you still, uh, thank you for the call, you have not told me how you do it that everybody suggests there is a conspiracy and that groups like the Illuminati control everything that is. My question is, by what power? Hmm? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Fine. Yeah, it's Chris in Fort Erie, Ontario again. How are you doing tonight? Uh, boy, we're hearing a lot from Canada, Chris. Yeah, well, it's my third call to you. Yes, sir? Um, I was uh, listening to the show, and uh, I was thinking about the full moon uh, theory and the effects. Uh, I myself into a, I, I'm into a law enforcement myself, and uh, you don't doubt it, do you? Oh no. Um, also a volunteer firefighter, and we also have uh, really kind of strange calls during those time periods. I know. 
And uh, I know, but when you go to the scientists, though, I mean, you know it. I do talk radio. Believe me, I know it. Uh-huh. Everybody who works with the public knows it, but when you go to a scientist, they say, Boulder Dash, it's a bunch of baloney. There's no scientific reason why people should act any differently during a full moon. They're full of it. Yeah, I heard a theory once on this, and it, it, it spurred my thoughts the last time you talked about it on the show. And it goes with uh, something to the effect of the, um, the atmosphere itself and how the atmosphere gets ionized during the daytime, and certain wavelengths or frequencies or wavelengths from the sun itself don't make it through the atmosphere during the daytime because it's been energized. Right. Um, I heard a theory once. I can't tell you where I've heard it. I can't remember. But uh, with the moon in the night sky reflecting those light rays from the sun, they penetrate the atmosphere, getting bypassed the ionization effect. That could be it. Yeah. Um, that was just a thought I had. So. I honestly have no way of knowing. But that you're right. It could be it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it, sir. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, take care. On my Illuminati line, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hello, Art. Are you a member of the Illuminati? I always have been. You always have been? Yes. Cool. All right. Um, let me try this question on you. By what power? Well, first of all, do you agree with the last caller that um, uh, presidents and nations are controlled by groups like yours? Um, yeah, I don't agree with the last caller, uh, but the United States is controlled by a group, by our group. It is. Yes, uh, and the power comes from the Vatican. The Vatican. Right. I am Illuminati. Should have known that. We are Illuminati. The Vatican. So, in other words, uh, the well, is it the Pope at the Vatican, or is it some behind-the-scenes thing? At the it's, it's exactly right. Uh, it's, it's a behind-the-scenes thing it. in the Vatican, which controls behind-the-scenes. <sighs> countries worldwide all right but uh, father uh, martin knows of but by what power in other words what influence what threat what uh power uh, uh what juice do we have yeah uh, juice. Uh, we have knowledge of the future knowledge of the well that's juice all right right you have knowledge of the future correct based on uh, based on the holy scriptures that are in the vaults in the Vatican, uh, ancient uh, uniform uh, tablets, uh, Babylonian tablets. Now you're beginning to convince me a little. Um, they've they've always said it, and it's it continues to be true. Knowledge is power. Well, of course it is, and absolute knowledge is absolute power. Uh, he said that each president, each and every president, is briefed when they come into office. Or maybe briefed no, is the wrong word. No, not, well, not by us. Uh, they may be briefed uh, concerning things we know and don't you, control. Yeah, don't you feel guilty running the world? Oh, not at all. I'd feel guilty if we didn't. So you're saying that the Illuminati is the only thing that keeps the trains running on time. Is that it? Uh, well, it keeps the, uh, the public from panicking. Mm-hmm. You mean if we knew the entire truth? Uh, or, or part of the entire truth, yes. Or even part of it? Right. We'd panic? Uh, yeah, sure. There'd be widespread pandemonium. All right. I, I appreciate the call, sir. There is our second Illuminati call. Well, that one kind of makes sense. If you knew what was coming, that would give you a great deal of power, wouldn't it, from the back? We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from April 13, 1998. to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from April 13th, 1998. Morning, everybody. I've got the Illuminati line open. And you see how easy it is? You can even summon the Illuminati. Boom, just like that. Snap your fingers and there they are. On my Illuminati line, you are on the air. Are you a member of the Illuminati? Yes, I am, Mr. Bell. You are. And from where are you calling? Or is that secret? That is an absurd question, Mr. Bell. <laughs> the Vatican, of course. Don't be ridiculous. Where are you? Uh, well, so you're not going to tell us. All right, so uh, what is the Illuminati? <sighs> or is that an absurd question? Oh, certainly not, certainly not. What most people are familiar with, with the Illuminati, that has been disbanded. My organization took over about 17-odd years ago. So the Illuminati is now gone, and you or your organization have replaced them? There's a ragtag resistance, one might say. A few uh, lingering Illuminati members uh, hoping for the good old days. Hining away. I see. Well, all right. Um, what organization do you represent? The JBI, the Jet Black Illuminati. God, that sounds evil. The Jet Black Illuminati. The name was a bit of a joke, but it's quite appropriate for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, does the Illuminati, as has been suggested by others, control everything? I mean, a lot of us are fed up with this, you know. We control destiny, and ultimate destiny is all that matters. I hate to think that's true. I mean, everybody wants to believe they have free will and that uh, we live in a free country that cuts its own path, its own destiny, and you're telling us it's just not true. Eventually, the powers that be will control. Absolutely. Right, well, you know, somehow you sound just the way I imagined you would. <laughs> Foreign you. and evil. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. Another Illuminati. JBI Jet Black Illuminati. 
whatever in the hell that is. Wild card line, you're on the air. Hi, folks, would have been. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, Art. Neil, Madison, Wisconsin. Yes, sir. I must have a direct line to you or something. Anyways, two quick things. One, I still don't see the see the Sphinx. Well, so then, all I can say is... Well, okay, and then secondly, it was just on ABC News. Uh, Richard Hoagland's old firm is building a vehicle to go in and survey Chern Chernobyl. What? Yeah. Oh, you mean uh, NASA? Yes. NASA is going to go in and survey Chernobyl? They're building a vehicle similar to the one they have on Mars because it's evidently it's still leaking. And the, uh, the Russians have tried and tried, and they keep sending these vehicles in that they've built, but the radiation is so intense that it's like melting the lens and the wires and oh stuff, they said. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I thought you were going to tell me they sent little vehicles in with guys. No, no. They, they said that the radiation is so intense that, uh, that a man could go in there and he couldn't spend any longer than four minutes. Four minutes of exposure is like a year to a human, they said. Yikes. So, so NASA's going to send their robot in, huh? Yeah, and, and I bet you uh, they won't have any malfunctions with this one. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Thank you very much for the news. Very interesting news since we happen to be talking about uh, Chernobyl a little earlier. On my Illuminati line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, hello, Art. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the thing is that the conspiracy is that for years they've been saying aluminum cans, but they ain't. It's steel. It's steel. And I'm going to tell you that people have been saying that for I don't know how long, and they know that it's the truth. And... And if anybody ever tells you otherwise... Well, if they're steel cans, how come you can crunch them so easily? Oh, no, 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 no. It's thin steel. And we've been paying, we've been paying prices that are unconscionable for it. That's and, the, the, and the it, aluminum conspiracy. It, it, well, well... Aluminum naughty. I, I'm sorry? Uh, uh, ne never mind. You are sorry. Uh, wild card line, you're on the air. Hello? Going yes, on. I was trying to get a hold of Art Bell. Yeah, that's who you've got, so turn your radio off. That's the first just thing. Just shut it off. All right, good. Where are you? I am in Kingman, Arizona. Yes, sir. And I'm calling in particular about the uh, producer that called last night because I happen to be an expert on Chupacabra. Okay, and I do have... You realize they are making a movie called Chupacabra. Yes, I do know that. Mm -hmm. I do know they're making a movie called Chupacabra. They promised me a speaking role in that movie. I beg your pardon? Uh, an audio role that I would be able to say something in. I understand movie. they gave you a speaking role on it, yeah. if you wish to have it. But uh, the documentation of the Chupacabra was produced by uh, NBC, the National Broadcasting Company, in 1976, and it was produced through a documentary called Euphorians, Warlords of the Universe. Euphorians? It, yes, this is a movie they produced that was a documentary that told you where all UFOs, Chupacabras, so on and so forth actually come from. Mm. And I do have the phone number that I'd give you off the air. I don't think you want to broadcast NBC's number over the air. No, I don't. Right. They'd get very upset. And I'd uh, be more than happy to hold on. Well, there's, you'd have to hold on until the end of the program, and I can't do that. Uh, try calling me after the program. After the program on the wild card line or your yes. other line? Well, on the wild card line. Okay, because Chip, Chip Cobra is... Uh, have existed for years and years and years, and they were proved, as a matter of fact, to uh, be doing all the cattle mutilations around the country. Uh, UCLA and the University of Irvine 
did a study, and as a matter of fact, they had Kodak develop some special film for them at $8,000 a roll, clear back in the early 70s, in order to take pictures of them. And where, pray tell, are these photographs now? Uh, they are at NBC. NBC has them? Yes, NBC has the entire documentation of the entire movie. What it was was a lecture by different professors, and when people saw it on TV, if they thought it was a science fiction movie, mm. they turned it off because anybody who's been to a, a lecture knows that they get very boring, very long, and very drawn out. Yep. And they told why the UFOs have contacted every nation in the world and refuse to deal with the United States or with England. Boy, that's a lot to be holding on to. Well, they think that we are the, uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing is what it boils down to. They're probably right. And, yeah, there's a very high probability of that. All right, well, listen, I've got a scoot. I appreciate the call. Try and get hold of me after the show, and we'll get the secret NBC number. Now we take you back to the night of April 13th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. I want to talk to you about my time machine because I'm getting so many faxes about it. Stephen Gibbs sent me a full-fledged, allegedly operable time machine, all right? The time machine has various uh, controls on it. It uses uh, plugs into the wall. It has a gigantic, uh, I mean a really big electromagnet, heavy sucker that comes with it, and various other apparatus, some of which is, is supposed to be wound around your head and so forth and so on. Now, I have now had the time machine for about three weeks. I have looked at it longingly any number of times. We recently were acquired by the JCOR Corporation, actually, Premier Radio JCOR, Premier JCOR. And we had a kind of a party here with the top Premier JCOR brass. That was um, a week ago this last Sunday. And during the course of the party, the time machine came out. We had it on our pool table in here. And one of the corporate attorneys, very adventuresome fellow, was all set to use the time machine. When I walked into the room, somebody summoned me and said, all right, you better get in here quick. My wife had the plug in her hand, and this attorney was uh, going to take a ride on our time machine, and she was headed toward the wall socket. <laughs> That's how close it was. Now, I have been, I have never been so severely criticized as in the faxes that I have received, criticizing me for stopping that, suggesting various things, usually mixing it with some sort of attorney joke, suggesting that any other time would reject him and he would be bound, uh, he'd be bound to come back because they'd probably throw him back. Uh, but on the serious side of things, I have not yet tried it, and I don't know that I'm going to. I am not accepting volunteers, and I don't wish to see anybody fried, including a corporate attorney. I, I'm, I'm really being serious now. I may try this thing. If I do, I will do it. Everybody's trying to volunteer. From 12-year-old uh, 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 callers on up, they're trying to volunteer. 
I am not convinced it is safe. I'm really not. As a matter of fact, in the manual, if misused, it suggests that it could produce severe brain damage. So, no, I have not jumped to try my time machine. There are times when I am somewhat, I admit, tempted. And I may. But if I do, I will do it myself. I don't wish to be charged with murder or, or homicide or whatever it is, uh, some sort of uh, level of homicide, some degree of homicide. Certainly, if I were to wire somebody up and plug this sucker into the wall and they fried, that would be it for me. Right? So it's easy to sit out there and make jokes and to suggest that um, I, why, you'd volunteer, you'd do it. I'm thinking about it. Give me a little time. This is not one of those things you rush into. If you had one there, you'd feel the same way about it. Believe me, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Don't worry, I'm thinking about it. And I may try it. Oh, I don't think I would do Everybody wants me to do it on the air so they could hear the sizzle. <laughs> not going to do that either. I've had enough attorney jokes. I'm telling you, he was that close. That close. Well, all right, back to the lines we go. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Art. Yes, sir. I'm an investigative writer calling from Denver. Yes, sir. I've uncovered something that's so big and bizarre, I don't know what to do with it. Is it even bigger than the Illuminati? Uh, it's it, hard to imagine, but... It's, it's bigger than that and probably inclusive. Uh, we'll start with the screams from hell. Yes. What you're listening to is an entertainment of sorts. Yeah, very entertaining. Uh, yeah, it's a um, an imperial power eating event, and the screens are coming from the power containers being relieved of their power. The commanding voice is a master of ceremonies, orchestrating the entire event, and uh, there's a connection with the face on Mars. Figures. Yeah, <laughs> I told you this is big and it's bizarre, and I'm really not sure what to do with it. Uh, the face on Mars... Well, you things like this, you call my show. I mean, I don't know that. The face is a lion uh, being extracted from a man, a, a well, lion it, emerging it, from a man's it, face. It, it does look feline in nature, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And there's a connection with that face um, of the Sphinx on Giza. It's the same type of image. It's a lion man. A lion man. A lion man or a man lion. The lion being extracted from the man. The event. It's like man's feline side. Something like that. Man getting in touch with the feline in him. It's something like that. Something like that. The, um, the power-eating event is called Dewey Topper. It's, it's called what? Doing Topper. Dune, did you say Dune Topper? No, no, Doing Topper. Doing Topper? Or the Red Lion. I, wait a minute, I can do it. Let me get in touch with the feline in me. There we go. All right. Yeah, I knew this wasn't going to be easy. No, it's, it's never easy. Yeah. Um, so the, I don't know where to start. Help me out here. I don't know where to, where there, to go. There is no way I can help you with this, sir. No way in the world. All right, the, I don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about. I mean, I, I know that the face looks vaguely feline in nature. Past that, you've lost me. It's an, it's an idol. It's an image 
uh, it's an idol of worship of sorts. It's oh, also no. an advertisement. You have not prayed to this, have you? No. <laughs> no. What happened when Moses came down and saw them all praying to the false gods, the idols? Yeah. There was real trouble. The idea of, of a large face like that is an advertisement that can be seen from a high orbit. And what it's saying is that we have the red lion here. Come and get it. The Sphinx is the same thing. We have the red lion The here. red lion. What the red lion is is a super drug that's achieved. What? It's a super drug that's achieved with a high-technology hookup. You're going downhill. Yeah. Well, this is the Art Bell Show. I need, I need all the help I can get on this one. There is no way I can help you. Plus, you're going to have to finish this later. I, I couldn't finish the show like this. It's an advertisement for a drug. Huh? First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hey, Mr. Bell. Hey, Mr. Caller. Talking about your time machine. Hey, whatever happened to Mad Mad Markham? Well, see, now there's another reason that I'm thinking really hard about this. Good question. Whatever happened to Mad Mad Markham? He's been gone, gone, gone for about a year. Um, that was a boy. I got a, such a kick out of that. Well, I'm I tell you what, rigged, rigged up how many transformers and had arcs and things going and oh, threw a cat through there. I know. Decided to jump through himself. I know. Huh. Well, I hope somebody throws him back from whatever time he went to so we can hear from him. Well, the guy's been missing for a year, and so you wonder why I'm a little hesitant to wire myself up and plug myself in? Yeah, you know what? You should probably just take a blowtorch to that thing and cut it up. <laughs> no, no. I mean, how many people have a time machine? Not too many, right? Well, how many people have a time machine and are using it? Well, probably even fewer. But I'm, hey. I'm glad I have it. I just, you know, believe me, if you had it there, you would think really, really, really hard before you wired yourself up and plugged yourself in. Uh, yeah, I think I would do that. I think you're very smart to uh, leave it unplugged. Another thing, that Time Wanderer is since in the facts. Uh, Wave Rider, yes. W Wave Rider. Have yes. you heard from him again? Uh, no, well, the last communication I had is now on the web. It was really interesting. Uh, thank you. As a matter of fact, w the commun last communication I got was not n number three. It was fax number two, which came out of sequence which I thought really, really intriguing when you consider it. You've got to go up there and read all three, and uh, I think we left them in the sequence they came in, which is incorrect, which in itself tells a story, if you think about it. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. How are you doing? Well, I don't know. The last call, it was hard. Kind of strange, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, actually, the reason I'm calling tonight is I'm in Oklahoma City. This is Jay. Yes, Jay. Um, I'm a law enforcement officer here in Oklahoma City. Yes, sir. <clears throat> and a while back, the cartoon that came out in reference to the Oklahoma City bombing trial. Oh, the Benson cartoon? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I was just calling to personally thank you for the stood that you took on that and the, you know, the, the disposition that you took on it. And for all the victims here in the Oklahoma City area. Well, I appreciate that. Yes. I still wonder why Steve Benson decided he was going to try and connect me to it. it that, that one really puzzled me. Yeah, whatever come of him. Oh, he's still around. He did another cartoon on me the other day, but that's okay. One of my listeners did a cartoon on him, and we got it on the website. 
Oh, it, really? It, yeah, it's, it's called Our View of Benson. you got to see it. I'll have to take a look at it. <laughs> it's pretty good, believe me. But I just wanted to thank you. Well, thank you, sir. I, uh, on the serious side, I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that that was uh, that was a rough time for our country, wasn't it? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Oh, hi, Art. This is Rick from uh, Ogden. I called you a couple uh, weeks ago. Told you about this thing in uh, in Utah about the man who's going to uh, marry his cat. Oh, that's right. The guy who was going to marry his cat. Yeah, so you told me... And that, that was really serious, wasn't it? Well, apparently it is. I know the guy that knows the guy. And he told me he's going to he's gonna email you. Now, is it going to be a civil ceremony, or is it going to be in a... It couldn't be in a church. I mean, there'd be no priest who would marry a guy to his cat. Well, he, uh, tried, he tried that yeah. angle, and apparently he can't. But he's going to... He wants it to be ordained by the state, so he's trying to make... Uh, you know, it's just kind of odd. It's just also odd. But he, he's going to... Apparently, he's going to videotape it. What happens with the ring? How do you put a ring on a paw? <laughs> That's a good question. Great question. This really is serious, folks. I yeah, mean, there's really this guy out there that wants to marry a cat. Yep. And um, also, uh, keep looking for that CD. Boy, you can only imagine the honeymoon night, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yep. <sighs> well, anyway, so the late news is he's still he's still trying, huh? Still trying, and maybe I can get you some photos. And oh. he says he wants to send you some emails. So maybe I'd rather look at the monkey photos. Well, I want to see those too. But I also please keep looking for that CD because I know you didn't like it. Actually, pay me for this. Listen, the program's over. You want to tell everybody good night? Yes, good night, America. That's it. Good night, America.